love this podcast, support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the link in the episode description to support us now. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Well, if you go to our website or if you go to our Podbean and you scroll all the way down, you could find as one of our first three episodes when we covered the murder on the Orient Express films. And I am happy to say that we are going back to the Agatha Christie realm while we cover the 1978 and the new 2022 Death on the Nile. Are you excited, Rolando? No. Good. Eddie? Yes. That's how I like it. Rolando not excited and Eddie excited. Mm -hmm. So let's get started. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast about unoriginality. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in. And quick reminder to please be sure to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever app you use. Those will help others find us and it'll help the podcast out. So if you haven't, uh, if you've been listening to a while and haven't left us a review or rating, please do so. It would, uh, it goes a long way. Yes. Uh, and uh, obviously, you know, here we are, Rolando, Eddie and I for another week, another episode. And it feels just yesterday that we recorded the murder on the Orient Express. I think we did it in your dining room, Rolando. I think we did. Maybe we did it in the living room, actually, but it was in my apartment somewhere. Yeah. It, it, if you go back and you listen to that episode, it's kind of bouncy because we're in like... Oh, a, it, okay. Yeah. So it was probably the dining the room. The dining room. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know, maybe we sounded, you know, younger, or more spirited then. I, I, I honestly, I didn't go back and listen to it. So I hope some of our listeners do and can hear it. Oh, uh, I would never. <laughs> it's got to be like the worst sounding thing in the world. <laughs> I'm sure there's worse I, sounding things. I'm sure, but like base compared to like how we sound now it must be atrocious yeah well a lot <laughs> has changed but you know some other things don't change uh like mm-hmm. us doing this podcast is one but you know another thing that doesn't change is the reputation in at least the literary world of miss agatha christie uh she's still the highest selling of oh, the best-selling author in the world outside of like you know the Bible is the, the best-selling book in the world, and Shakespeare is also one of the best-selling authors. But right there is Agatha Christie. I mean, this oh. is an incredible fan base. Uh, who's keeping these metrics from like how long to when? Because I don't Good know. Good question. Like, like, how do we know that? How do we know that Shakespeare has been selling? Like, are we counting all the Shakespeare's from like the 1700s, 1800s? That's not really fair. Who was doing all the record keeping? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I want to find, you know, some financial dude who's, like, holding these things and be like, explain. You and know? also, they get bought in bulk, right? Because a lot of schools study Romeo and Juliet and uh, uh, Hamlet, like, when we covered it. So that's not really a fair assessment. True. Same thing with the Bible. Like, churches are constantly buying that up and giving it away. Yeah, you know, for these other things, I would be like, okay, you know, what's what's going on here? These have been around for many many years and in what context are people buying it but you know agatha christie's not really taught in schools and agatha mm-hmm. christie is a 20th century writer so i feel like most of that just is based on people buying her books uh yes and people have been buying her books since the fucking 20s 
and okay. I it's it's actually pretty crazy how you know you go to any bookstore and there's like at least a decent section on her and and people i remember i went to barnes and nobles uh over the summer and i was like just staring at this collection and debating which of her books to buy and like somebody struck up a conversation about her with me oh god that sounds awful it unites strangers <laughs> i mean it's you know the beginning of like it's the beginning of a mystery yeah that's true oh the body in barnes and nobles how did it get death there? death on the aisles Yes. <laughs> Book aisle. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, but I obviously am really into Agatha Christie. She might be my favorite deceased author. Uh and I've read that's a, that's a very, very specific uh Well, there's a lot uh, of dead authors out there, you know. So to say that she's probably my favorite is that's a wide variety of people. Mm-hmm. Uh have you ever read a book of hers? No, I I don't think I've ever read any Agatha Christie's. Mm. And Eddie, you have not I'm not like big on a mystery books. So that's interesting. So how do you feel about the murder mystery genre as a whole? I like it in film. Yeah. Me right? too. Or even potentially on Oh, I've never been to a stage play that's a murder mystery like uh like you know, like a mis- murder mystery theater. But I saw one on Bob's Burgers, and it left me <laughs> wanting to go to that kind of experience. You know, you know so. I think Agatha Christie also holds the title for longest running play. A play of hers called The Mousetrap, a murder mystery. Oh, really? I thought yeah. it was the play that goes wrong. No, mm, no, never heard of it. No, never heard any uh, instance in where people said that was. <laughs> No, I thought that was the longest running play on Broadway. <clears throat> no, I mean, it might be currently the longest, but I'm talking about of all time. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Someone's so. got to knock Agatha Christie off her high horse. Yeah, I actually, you know, I'm like, I'm surprised it hasn't been done. You know, Dan Brown with the Da Vinci Code hasn't been able to do it or J.K. Rowling or somebody, you know, and they haven't. Agatha yeah. Christie is still on top, you know? Oh, you know, I mean, Agatha Christie appeals to, like, those boomers and stuff. That boomer generation. You got to, like, pry things off their cold, dead hands. I'm a millennial and I'm a fan, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but you're not, like, you're not a normal millennial. <laughs> no offense. I'll right? take that as a compliment, actually. So, thank you. You're um, welcome. <laughs> I, I just love the murder mystery genre. I think there's something just really fun. You're, it's It's... I guess the word I'll use is kind of immersive because you're trying to solve it along Mm -hmm. with, you know, either the detective or whoever your main character might be trying to solve it. You know, one of my favorite TV shows, Murder, She Wrote, you know, it's always like, okay, what do these people do? And writing all the things. And actually just last week, you know, with Murderville and Murder and Successville, you know, if you really are really, really, really are paying attention, you can actually solve these murders. You know, it's it's kind of interactive. And um, yeah, so I think that's why there's there's this constant appeal of the genre and also of her work and why it's kind of like a natural to be made into a film. Uh, Agatha Christie's was writing books from 1921, I believe is like the first year mystery of uh, the, the mysterious affair at styles came out and she died in 1976 and releasing at least a book a year up until then. All right. So that's mm. a lot of stuff. And a big movie adaptation of hers that came out was in 1974, Murder on the Orient Express. And then after that, you know, kind of like the floodgates opened, especially because, as we talked about, the Murder on the Orient Express was all about that huge cast, you know, young right. faces and old Hollywood faces and just like, you know, international cast, 
that made the story. Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, Anthony Perkins, Sean Connery. You know, it was like Albert Finney's Hercule Poirot. Right. And uh, of course, it was a natural after the smash that that was and the critical darling that it was that they would follow it up with an- another Hercule Poirot film. And Hercule Poirot is kind of like her Sherlock Holmes. It's her. I mean, she's written probably about 30 of his books. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is the list of Poirot books that she wrote. And short oh, story God. books. I'm showing uh, Rolando a visual of my yeah. Death on the Nile book. Thank you for um, describing that. We are an audio medium. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, I read Death on the Nile. I read it mm-hmm. last year in preparation for the, the film that was supposed to have come out last year. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because this is one of the only times that I solved it. Oh, really? And I actually think despite that it's one of her more interesting and intriguing mysteries yes um, but bef- a lot of critics apparently agree because like it is considered like her best one it is definitely one of her best and it's got that whole appeal it's exotic location agatha christie was a huge traveler and she loved she had a deep interest in archaeology and stuff she went to egypt many times oh and, um she's english is she she's english Okay, I mean the English pillaging the Egyptia, Egyptian Egyptian philia that came out of that like turn of the century uh, was so bad for like the poor native Egyptians because we literally plundered their archaeology sites and like you know brought them to our museum. It's so it's so problematic in retrospect and stuff. So I'm glad to know that. She fed to that problem. I'm just saying. I'm just knocking her down those few pegs. Yeah, even like uh, there's one of the Universal Monster movies kind of addresses that in 1932 uh, when they made The Mummy, the first of the Mummy series, Mm. you know, where you go and you desecrate these holy areas, you know, like these people will probably like you're you're desecrating history in their private, Mm -hmm. their burial ground, you know, it's just disrespectful. So, yeah. So she was part of that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so Death on the Nile. 1978 is the year that the movie finally comes out. Now, a lot of the people that were involved with the 74 Oriental uh, Murder on the Orient Express are not involved in this film. Mainly the... Are you talking about, like, production-wise? Or... I know yes. cast-wise, that makes sense because, like, this isn't, like... They're not the same characters except for Hercule Poirot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a whole brand-new cast of characters who are in this mystery. Uh, but Hercule Poirot is not... Poirot is yeah. not the same. Uh, but what, so, but, but the people behind the scenes, though, like any of those people still involved with the original? Yeah, so the screenwriter is Anthony Schaefer, who's known for writing a film called Sleuth, a whodunit. So he was not involved with Murder on the Orient Express. And uh, Sidney Lament, who directed Murder on the Orient Express, did not return to do Death on the Nile. Instead, we have John Gil... Gil- oh, gosh. Gillerman? Gullerman? <laughs> Gillerman? I mean, he's... He's not like Spanish. He's English, so I guess it's just Gillerman or Gillerman. But yeah, by him. <clears throat> Other films that he did, uh, he did the actually the remake of King Kong, and he made the Towering Inferno. Guns. The at- remake of King Kong with uh, uh, this lady. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he did terrible that. movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, I thought the, the Peter I think Jackson. I remember for being so horrible. I think there was, I don't know if it was so horrible. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. 
I, but, um, I'm remembering it. It was not good. <laughs> I think we talked about it a little bit. On, we talked uh, a little bit. Yeah, when we yeah. did that very interesting episode. Um, yeah, so he he was kind of on a roll in the '70s. Towering Inferno, huge all-star cast, disaster movie. You know, King Kong, whatever. He does Death on the Nile, and even the the composer is different. Um, I thought the music of this was just great, and that was by Nino Rota, who is known for doing oh. scores for Italian cinema and Federico Fellini movies. And then he came to mm. America and he did the Godfather music and stuff. So, uh, but yeah. it's like a whole different feel uh, than yeah. Murder on the Orient Express. Was it the same studio? Uh, I don't think so, actually. Wow. Okay. So this is like uh, so it's not. So this is itself not a direct sequel to uh, the Orient Express. It's kind of like capitalizing off of the success of the murder, murder uh-huh. Express. But not, yeah. Yeah. So, but not like, uh, but it's not like, you know, like, I mean, I don't know how it was back in the 60s, 70s, right? Like uh, when it came to film rights, like if you bought the entire franchise or you just bought like the actual like the rights to one book specifically right so mm, yeah. it's not like nowadays where franchise is king so uh i don't know i don't even know what studios one behind the current poirot series but i'm sure they have the rights to all the poirot stories yeah so the original uh the murder on the Other express was emi films uh i don't think they're around okay. anymore or they're just not to that level and i do think that death on the nile was emi films if i remember correctly but mm-hmm. I think that they were like the distributor was different. I know for uh, Death okay. on the Nile was MGM. I think it might have been Paramount. I mean, don't quote me on that. But essentially, AMI was looking to follow up Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, franchise was completely different then. So I don't know if that was 100% on their mind, but they were like, let's adapt another one, you know, and let's that winning formula. Because mm-hmm. I think back in the day and especially in the 70s but you know like when television started becoming more of a competition for cinema and you needed a reason for you know people to leave the theater and get an ass in the seat which is something that we're kind of dealing with now oddly enough that problem how do you get people to leave their houses and go buy a ticket to see a movie you needed something like larger than life so exotic locations and an all-star cast so it was just like natural to take another one of those you know Christie books and and do it in that realm and they shot this in Egypt, mm-hmm. you know, which is like, this yes. is an on-location shoot. It is. And, and you can tell because there were so many times when I'm watching it, I'm just like, how is this luxurious? <laughs> yeah. Well, this was the 30s that, you know, it took place. So this is... It, I don't... I, you know, like, reading The Great Gatsby made me think of, like, the Roaring Twenties and, like, it must have been fabulous and stuff. And it's just like, this is not... This is not fabulous, in my opinion. <laughs> like, Interesting. Interesting. Fabulous. <laughs> All right. Well, so Death on the Nile, obviously the return of Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot is a Belgian detective, and uh, he's just a shithead. I mean, it, so what did what did you get from who Poirot was from the murder on the Orient Express in the way that Albert Finney portrayed him? The When we first saw it, uh, it I don't know maybe a little maybe a little cocky but like for the most part very debonair very suave despite not really the most beautiful looking man right he has swagger (laughs) okay right like there was a certain swagger to him that he possessed and he was just kind of like uh i don't know a little charming if I remember correctly. Interesting. Okay. So I've read more than one Poirot book. And um, the things that I would say 
are characteristic to who Hercule Poirot is, is that, yeah, you're right. He's cocky, right? He is very sure of himself. He likes mm-hmm. to use his little gray cells, you know, so he's all about intelligence and being, uh, uh, what's that word? When you're like very well observed, he's a very well observed person. But because of all of this, he can also be arrogant. <laughs> he can be mm-hmm. incredibly dismissive of people. He actually has like a Watson that uh, follows him around a couple of the early books and he just treats him like he's an idiot the whole time. <laughs> right. And, you know, Poirot uh, gets kind of off being the smartest in the room and all this stuff. So, you know, to ex- an extent, like, he's kind of a little... Sh- I, ca- I think he's kind of a little shithead. And every time I read one of the Poirot books, I kind of love it because I'm like, this guy, like, <laughs> he's such an ass, but he's so good at what he does. And that's kind of like part of the shtick. Agatha Christie actually, after a while, hated writing Poirot because she's like, I created such a little fucking asshole. And right. I just don't even like writing for this egomaniac after a while. He yeah. also was small and pudgy and really liked to eat. And that was another one of those big Oh, he was gluttonous? He was a little gluttonous. I don't remember. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. We're talking about but Albert Finney's portrayal. I don't remember him being like gluttonous. Uh, Well... I wouldn't say it was one of his biggest traits, but uh-huh. in the books, you know, he is very, he's very vain in particular about his mustache and about the food right. he eats and he's got OCD and like all this stuff. So he's a okay. character to put it like that. Yeah. And Albert Finney was an Agatha Christie approved portrayal, but this one, yeah, she's she, the only thing she said was that his mustache wasn't quite decadent enough. Okay. <laughs> Albert Finney must have been so offended. Uh, (laughs) It's so interesting because I don't know. In retrospect, I don't know if I don't know if maybe Pompous carried through as much as he was. I don't know. There was kind of something endearing about Albert Finney's portrayal as as uh, Poirot, where it the arrogance wasn't so cutting, in my opinion. Mm. I could be misremembering this film. Maybe I'm just misremembering and comparing it to this new guy because this new guy was the pits. So they decided, obviously, you know, Albert Finney couldn't come back for this. So they got an actor who is not very well known to audiences today. His name is Peter Ustinov. Um, Peter Ustinov was like a very, you know, theatrical actor. And he actually was a bit of a, a monologist, which is an old fashioned word for someone who could tell a really good story. And that actually used to be uh, a career that a person could have was to become a monologist, which is that's fucking it, to tell a really good story. Okay. I mean, there is actually an art like of bard. speaking well, uh, public speaking kind of a thing. Well, that's oration, yes. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was kind of like a raconteur, you know, and he was in everything. Um, and he's, I think he spoke a couple of languages and stuff. And my favorite, I think my favorite performance of Peter Ustinov is of King Richard in the Disney version of Robin Hood. He's mm-hmm. the he's the voice of of that of the villain. Mm-hmm. Um. The lion. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just... So Peter Ustinov, Hercule Poirot, a very, very different, albeit way more comical Poirot in this film. This film borderlines on comedy. Kind of does. So (laughs) I guess we should get a little bit into the plot here, right? We kind of got... We got some main characters, starting with, actually, the way that Death on the Nile begins, the very first... Uh, words are Lynette Ridgway. So we know that this is going to be about Lynette Ridgway. Lynette Ridgway is a socialite. She is an orphaned socialite. Um, and she's very wealthy. Uh, some might say she's a bit spoiled by that wealth. 
and well i think everyone would pretty much say that she's a spoiled little heiress oh she eh, okay it depends on what movie adaptation we're talking about. Um, All right, fine. She has a close friend of hers called Jacqueline de Belfort, who comes to her one day asking for Lynette to do her a solid by letting her, by having Lynette employ Jackie's fiance, soon Simon Doyle. Fiance. Soon yeah. to be, or yeah. yes, soon to be husband. Yes. And uh, in the book, and I think in the first, in the movie, we. Uh, we see when Lynette first sees Simon Doyle and it's like lust at first sight. And then the next thing you know, these two are married. She fucking steals Jackie's man, which is right. like, she's like, yeah, sure. I'll be a great friend and give, you know, your bo- your boyfriend soon to be a, f- uh, a job. Uh, yeah. I'll give him a job <laughs> to manage my estate. Actually, uh, you're out of a job and you're out of a man. Like fucking snatches that up. Really yeah. shitty. Uh, and you know what? It causes some turmoil for poor Jacqueline. I thought they were cousins. I could have sworn that they said in the movie they were cousins, but uh, no, just close friends. Okay, just close friends. No, no, but I think they did. I think she has this thing like because she said it about the lawyer too. A cousin also, right? Yeah, yeah maybe oh, cousin like, Andrew, like uncle, or yeah. Oh, like, okay. I could have sworn that Jacqueline. But was I, also I think a they, they they greeted themselves as cousins, and then it was like, oh no, we're best friends or something. Yeah, oh. maybe. I, I I don't remember, but I okay. I could have swore because I th- that's what I thought at the moment, and I, was, I saw the scene. And I was that just like, you, introduced. you trifling woman, Mm-mm-mm. yeah, never trust. A yeah. but you that's know what? In her defense, though, Simon was pretty handsome, though. In yeah, this movie, yeah, uh, yeah, in in the uh, nineteen seventy four, I thought I found him very very handsome. Oh, look at that! Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so in the movie, Lynette Ridgeway is played. I can't. I don't remember this woman by after Lois Childs. Who you know, I haven't seen in very many, very many movies, but I think she does a very good job. Jacqueline de Belfort, Jackie, is played by Mia Farrow. Oh, uh, what a performance from Mia Farrow! Yes, and Simon Doyle is played by Simon McCorkendale, a name that we don't hear very often. I, I think that's one I, of his biggest roles that he ever did. Okay. So, uh, cuts to all these months later you know she bagged simon and now they're getting married and they are honeymooning on the nile which was also something from the book and in the original movie that was something that was jackie's idea (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. even more fucked up that they took the honeymoon that jackie wanted um and then this is where we meet up with poirot and the other cast of characters and they're all vacationing in egypt they're there to see the pyramids and the sphinx and the abu simple and they just so happen to all be in the same hotel. And then they also so happen to board the same exact cruiser, I guess, or yacht or, or just like a, no, what is it that? Was like a steamboat, I guess. Yeah. Like a, a vacation-y steamboat for, you know, tourists know. to do. Uh, the, like the most ratchet looking thing for rich people I th- to ever board. You know, I think that that's like a, as close. I don't know if it's the Karnak itself, but like they got pretty much like whatever Agatha Christie would have been on in the thirties is like how it looked in 1970, 1978. I, that's, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I just, I think when they were boarding it, I was just like, why I would rather be in that beautiful hotel. They were in than like ride this shitty yes. uh, ship to be quite honest. I mean, well, you know, in 1937, I'm sure it was astonishing. I, but. You know what the other thing was though, because like the the film kept giving us these sweeping shots of like the Nile, and then it's just like, ew, this 
what is like what am I what is glamorous? Well, here you know about? that's but no that's, uh, no shade to like any of our Egyptians who might be listening. I'm just saying it's just like I don't know. But you Maybe know, I don't see the appeal. I'm I not actually, like a safari kind of person. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> safari. I don't know if I would use that word. Um, here's well, the I thing. Like, I, I'm not like an adventurer like that. I just wouldn't want to. It's not my. I'd you, rather go yeah. to like a beach and resort. Yeah. Uh, well, here's okay. So this is something that I thought that was really interesting from the 1978 film. One, they shot on location too, but they also created this atmosphere that was very much like upper class, you know, rich tourist white people versus the people who fucking live there, you know. So like, other than the guy who runs the boat, which is obviously hasn't aged well, um, there's so many scenes of them <laughs> interacting with the Egyptians that I fucking appreciated. I think one of my absolute favorite scenes in the movie that is not in the book was when Betty davis because betty davis is in this movie is sipping on tea and sees these boys running after the steamboat and is waving and then and soon they moon him then they, they moon, moon them kind of like you know yeah. fuck you white people tourists i uh, loved that like, moment you know because the divide between like her safe you know sipping her tea on the boat passing their lives and and the actual world of what egypt is today mm-hmm. you know and then being like fuck you guys kind of i thought that was great mm-hmm because uh, it really did establish, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, these are fucking rich, privileged ass people. Like that's this is the environment that that we're in. This the story takes place and it kind of also sets up, you know, Lynette Ridgway and her her kind of case in this movie. Yeah. Um, now, it's very odd. And of course, you know, this is what happens when you get Agatha Christie. But it's very odd that everyone on this boat to the Karnak has somewhat of a tie to Lynette Ridgway. And she has made an enemy almost yes. out of everyone on this boat. Uh, some of the other With characters. The, uh-huh. Yeah. I, I just want to point out, one of the exceptions of the enemies is the one socialist guy who, he was just a socialist, but like he didn't have any real personal ties there. He was just like, oh, the bourgeois, the, yeah. you know, he, he was like our Bernie Sanders. That's who I thought he was. <laughs> he was just like, oh my God, is this Bernie Sanders origin story? Uh. Well, to be fair, some of the people that, you know, planned this vacation, like we saw with Betty Davis's character, Mrs. Schuler, was like, oh, Lynette Ridgway is going to Egypt. Well, I think, will she go to Egypt, too? And her and Maggie Smith, her personal maid, Mrs. Bowers, they oh. go. Which reminds me, uh, you read the book. Mm-hmm. Were they? No. I, I, I read, really? Then why did they dress Maggie Smith like that? I thought she was uh, a lover. Uh, because of also the way she treated her, which was not very nice. Oh, that's just how I feel like old married couples are. Like in Everybody Loves Rain, which I'm rewatching currently, guys, on Peacock. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, the, so since I read the book, I didn't read it as that. But I also don't think just because you put a woman in a pantsuit that makes her a lesbian. So I don't know. Me personally. I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I thought, I don't know. I, I read them as like an old married crotchety couple. Mm. I read it as Miss Bowers being very resentful of uh, Mrs. Schuler, and you know, but I don't know. And also because of who Mrs. Schuler is secretly, Uh, which you know, right? Spoilers, spoilers. Of obviously, if you do not want to know any spoilers of any of the movies, or if you plan on reading the book, then stop listening. Uh, Mrs. Schuler is a jewel thief, and a big Uh, reason why she went there is because she wanted to snatch up those jewels from Lynette Ridgway. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we do have Andrew Pennington, uh, a close financial thing. And I think, yeah, she, it's like her uncle. Or, there's a family relationship. I think in the new one, they made her, he, they made him her cousin, but in 
the original. He's an uncle. I think it was uncle. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's there. Like, he's American, right? Yes, he's the American. George Kennedy plays him, and, and um, uh, he's been like embezzling money. Yes, misappropriating funds. And yes, since Lynette Ridgway just got married and like very all of a sudden, you know, she's only been with this guy for like four weeks and they get married. So he's like, I need her to sign some fucking documents fast (laughs) to like, you know, clear up his ass. So he goes to Egypt. Um, Then we have Salome Otterborn and her daughter, Rosalie Otterborn, the Salome played by or Salome. Actually, I forget. It's not Salome. I, I've seen Sunset Boulevard. It's one of my absolute favorite films. And she calls her Salome, the whole movie. So oh. I always just process it as Salome. But it's Salome Otterborn, played by Angela Lansbury and Rosalie right. played by Olivia Hussey. And what a fucking scene stealing performance Angela Lansbury gives as oh, Salome. You think? Oh, it's just so over the fucking top. It and was theatrical. I and I loved I it. I didn't. <laughs> I kind of every. You don't like over the top. I've realized. I I I. That's not true. But I didn't in this case. I think she was too. Her drunk performance was just not drunk. It just seemed like unhinged, messed out. Wow. Well, I mean, because it makes me think of the classic example, like you hated Catherine Hepburn in Little Women. It's just such a very over yeah, the top theatrical I hate, performance. I did hate that performance. So yeah, you lot. tend to like <laughs> so. if people are just like giving it their. You like a more subdued performance, I think. I guess I do, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Huh? (laughs) Oh, I don't. That's funny. Yeah, he's right. I don't act that way. I do act very over the top and very theatrical in my real life. Maybe that's why. It's just like, in my real life, I'm okay with it, but not... In my films. Yeah. Yeah. It's too, it's too close to the real to world where blogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and who else? We got Colonel Race, who's actually a recurring character in some of the novels. And he appears by David Nevin in this. And they just so Poirot and him just happen to be on, you know, the same exact Egypt vacation. But, you know, Grace is actually secretly uh, following one of the passengers. So a huge cast of characters. And they're all there for different reasons. We got Jack Warden as Dr. Bessner. Um James Ferguson, John Finch, you know, the socialist that Rolando was referring to. And they all just mm-hmm. so happen to be here. Uh, so, yeah. The best part, though, is that while Lynette Ridgway is on her honeymoon with Simon Doyle, who's stalking them and who's making their life an uncomfortable hell, Jackie Mia Farrow. So what did you guys think when you were watching this movie? Like, how did you feel about the first half of this movie while you're watching this story unfold? I was on Jackie's side. Mm. I honestly, I was just like, "Yo, if your girlfriend has that kind of money to burn to be petty and follow them halfway around the world, so be it." <laughs> you know what? Because Lynette did her dirty, mm-hmm. and therefore, if this is how Jackie wants to spend her time, I'm okay with that. But Poi Rose, they're trying to stop her, being like, "It's just like, oh my god, uh, yeah." you can't do this think about your sanity and she's just like this girl's straight up at this point unhinged and i'm just like yeah i'm for it i'm here for <laughs> it because i don't know uh uh lynette did her dirty yeah lynette and simon did her dirty so i actually thought that she was going to be the one who was going to die i thought she was going to be the murder mystery oh okay okay and i was glad to find out that not the case it was lynette who died i was just like to which I'll say this in both films. I was just like, mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's just like, okay, I don't, sh- I don't, fine. 
this is her fate and I'm not disagreeing with it. Well, you know, Poirot's a master observer and stuff and he just kind of was like, you know, if you continue down this path, there's going to be violence and you're just never going to be able to come back from this. Like, he knew exactly what that kind of behavior was going to lead to and he tried, you know, yeah. but they didn't listen. I, actually, my my best moment, I, I felt the best moment, I thought the best moments uh, of Poirot was... Um, when he w- would have these conversations with Jacqueline about how she's hack- acting mm-hmm. and, you know, like telling her, you know, like you can start anew, you can let this go. Yeah. I felt that like th- I, throughout the whole movie, I felt like most of the time he's just pompous <laughs> and kind of cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that. I mean, it, it seems that that's the way he has to, to be, to be able to do what he has to do. Mm-hmm. But um, when he spoke to her, you saw his tenderness and compassion for her. But the best line, do not allow evil into your heart. It will make a home there. And then she goes, if love can't live there, evil will do just as well. Mm. And I thought that was just like, that was brilliant. It's just like brilliant. Yes, um, yes. Back I, and forth. Oh, I wonder Can if I tell you how from that? Mm-hmm. gay me and Eddie are? Because we l- gay gasped when Lynette showed up the first time in her gorgeous, like cream colored dress at the first party mm-hmm. and we were just like oh, she looks gorgeous good you have your moment uh, to shine <laughs> Jackie and then the second gay gas we give is when <laughs> she shows up at the temple just screaming out facts yes about <laughs> <laughs> yes when, when they climb the pyramids you know because they 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 are on their horses. They put them down and they're just like, let's go climb the pyramids. And then who's right behind them? But Jackie. Oh, no. I'm thinking, no, no, no. The other time. At oh, Abu, Abu Simple. Yeah, yeah. there. Where yeah, when she walks out, she starts giving like history. Yes, like, yes, yes. Just, they thought they got says, rid of her. No, yeah. she's there. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, this bitch is determined. Yeah, seriously. Loved she's it. committed to this loca. And it's at that moment where I was just like, oh, this is her death certificate. She's, she's going to be the death head. Yeah. I guess it's probably going to be, we're all going to think it's uh, uh, Lynette. Well, you know, that's so interesting because I, I felt like this movie did a really good job of like, making the mystery clear because there were a lot of potential people like it could really have been any of them you know and it also made it clear that Lynette Ridgway there's even one point where like Poirot I mean he miraculously overhears quite a lot <laughs> my favorite oh, yeah. when I he's mean, at the bar and he just like pops hmm. up and he overheard the yes. thing between oh, the that was so I thought that was so contrived and so corny though. I know I was just like I thought they were going for comedy and I was just like what like Poirot would I don't that that part I thought was a little silly but I was also like okay I'm going with it um, but he overhears so much and he's like, my God, she's making enemies out of all of them. You know, like she had some sort of uh, Salome Otterborn's a, a novelist and there was some uh, bitter. Uh, she uh, slandered her. She slandered her and stuff. And, you know, Lynette's oh, wait, like, no, wait, that's the that's writer, right? Yeah. 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 She slandered her. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going to take you to court. And, you know, not refusing to sign the papers that Andrew puts in front of her because her father taught her to read everything through. You know, the, the bourgeois, the guy who hates the bourgeois just hates her because of what she stands for. Uh, but then why is he on this, like, quote unquote, lavish ship, though? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what is he going to do? Stop living his life? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, people become hypocritical when they don't even want to. Like, I, that didn't so, bother me that much. So I feel like, too, like... um from like 
from what I've seen, I think what what ends up happening is that you have the one wealthy person that's like, all right, I want I'm gonna rent out all the all the spaces on this boat, right? Mm. So I bought all the spaces, and then it's like I'm just gonna fill them with interesting people. So as you travel and encounter people, you're just like, hey, why don't you come? Why don't you come free of charge? Come on the boat, just because you know that this would be people that will uh, liven up the conversation mm. because they're so different or they're so contra. Yeah, true, true. I mean, I think he was also there because he was smitten with Rosalie, you know, and he was like, "I'm gonna bag this bitch." Oh, right. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, 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 when you're in exotic land and, you know, you all just you take it away with it. Um, exotic to a British or American, of course. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, she also had a, like Dr. Besner wanted some sort of money from Lynette, but she like was like, oh, I'm going to make sure you never work again. Making enemies out of fucking everybody on this goddamn ship. Um, and even her maid was technically a ma- an enemy. Yes, because- refusing to let her go, you know, like being like, ah, you're going to serve me as long as I fucking want you to, bitch. Well, I, right, I didn't get that. It, it wasn't, I, I, I'm, yeah. I've totally seen this. I'm actually seeing her as, a lot more as a good guy. In, in that some case, of these, I would agree in on some that of these one. things. Because first of all, if most of the time she's a target simply because of who she is. Yes. She's wealthy. All right. And she's wealthy and she's not wealthy because she made this money because she made these these deals that hurt other people. It's because her dad did. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So she actually has the sins of the father on her. Mm-hmm. Okay, a couple of these are sins of the father. Then you have a writer who takes advantage of her image and writes shit about her. So she's of course she's going to be pissed. I'm going to do something about this because no one's going to be writing shit about me. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have this other guy. This doctor who's giving like urine to his friend, armadillo and, urine, and yeah. then she's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna shut you down because you hurt my friend." <laughs> so if anything, in some ways, she's a hero. And then Louise, the ways. maid, and Louise was getting, up, yeah, getting yeah, wrapped up with, like, up a with married an man. Arab, yeah, married Arab man or something like that. Was it Arab? I don't know where like, the Arab came from, but okay, well, I feel like that's. Just- no, I mean, you guys definitely saw a positive spin on a lot of this because I also thought and she was movie... like, girl, you're too young. You're too naive. You can't be going on with this married to this engaged man you just met at a party. That, did she He's... say it like that, though? She kind of said it but more it, like, her own no, way. I want you in to serve me instead of. She didn't. No, she, she did never not say that. that. It she was more like she, she, no, she ended it like... with being like, you'll leave when I say you're fucking ready to kind of a thing. Yeah, but Luis is dumb and making these dumb choices, and like I guess. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta let at people. Least live their is lives. looking out for her. Well, I okay. So interesting because I really thought that this film did a pretty good job of well, yeah, making sure that this she had a lot of enemies around her, or perceived enemies and stuff, but that she was just kind of like spoiled, and um, didn't really care. She was like whatever, you know. Whether no, she, I don't know. Yeah, I get. I I didn't really get that she was like I in this in this iteration. I never got that she was just like kind of aloof and just spoiled. I think she was. Uh, I actually thought she was kind of the most aloof thing she did was marry this guy she barely knew after six weeks. Yeah, that kind of that was probably the most aloof thing she had done. And but she had no sympathy, else, no sympathy at all for Jackie. Right, and this is where I was just like, you know. I I did detest her for that. Mm-hmm. I think because it was just kind of so mean, and that's why I was like on Lynette on Jackie's side. I was just like, yeah, Jackie, if you want to fucking spend the rest of your life harassing them, you know, you have my blessing. Go for know? it. Yeah, it's almost to the point where like she was so upset about it and so like pissed off. And Simon, uh, after a while, was like, yeah, it's okay. It's like relax. 
it's like this sucks but it's also like let's not let her get the big like like a lot out of us mm-hmm. you know which um i don't know like she just she wasn't as sympathetic in this film um and in the book I, I actually thought she was a little bit more sympathetic interestingly enough maybe it was just the way the actress was portraying her and they just kind of visualizing it is different than reading it but you know i will say that there's a tv version called poirot where they take every single short story and novel and they they filmed it in the course of many seasons of for a tv show and obviously mm-hmm. they did death on the nile and their portrayal of lynette ridgeway is like cold-hearted bitch i think i'm pretty sure that was emily a very young emily blunt that played her too oh um, yeah, so Death on the Nile has been done a couple times. Um, <clears throat> the murder, right? We got to get to the murder. The murder yeah. occurs. Uh, this whole fucking dramatic scene happens where Jackie's drinking one too many. Her and Simon have a bunch of words, and then in a fit of rage, she shoots Simon in the leg. And then, you know, and they're all going crazy. And Simon's dragged after her room, and Miss Bowers, the nurse, looks over Jacqueline in her room. And, you know, it's, the scene's quiet until the morning. When Louis Bergeon is that yeah, Louis Bergeon goes to Lynette Ridgeway's cabin and finds her dead, shot in the head, close range, with the same pistol that Jackie used to shoot Simon in the leg. What? How? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? What were your thoughts about the murder after it happened? And like, were you like, okay, who did it and for what? Like, were you confused? Oh, I was. I I mean, outside of it, like, yeah, she had it coming. Outside of that, <laughs> uh-huh. uh huh. I immediately knew I was like, "Well, it can't be, it can't be uh, Jackie because she was drugged up, and uh, as far as we know, it probably couldn't be the ex who is actually the first one I thought of because I'm just like, in most cases, it is the husband who who commits these crimes. Yes. So plus, you know, he was poor and she was rich. It's just like, all right, it seems like a pretty open and shut case in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in America, let me tell you, there, uh, he would have just been arrested like immediately, right? Yeah. Um, but not in Egypt. They do things different. They're civilized in Egypt, <laughs> as opposed to our American justice system. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I didn't think it was gonna. I didn't think. I, I thought Lynette was obviously clear, but my main question was just like, did no one hear this gunshot? Like, I don't, or no one heard the first gunshot even though either. Like, no one reacted to a fucking gunshot uh, when fucking Jackie shot Simon. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, this wasn't a big boat, and it doesn't seem like they're very strong walled either. So I, I feel like everyone should have been up and about, but no. Okay, uh, valid point. So, uh, but you didn't have like any guesses as to who you thought it was, or you know, you... Uh, I, I, I thought it was Simon, but how I don't know. But I thought that was also an Agatha Christie thing, like, which is just, like I'm sure we'll get to it. Uh, I think while we were watching it, Eddie did ask, "It's just like, oh, is it gonna be like the Murder on Orient Express where like everyone did?" I'm just like, I hope not. I don't want to see. I want like at least of one person culpable like murder on your express having like having one crime where like they all did it that's fun but they can't all be like that. yeah no and they're not yeah, all like yeah. that yeah. um yeah so uh eddie did you also think it was simon or did you think it was someone else i actually wasn't thinking that it was simon um i was i was thinking it yeah I, well 
you know, when you come in, you know, you know, you know, a murder is going to happen. And I kind of guess who is going to be mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So who's going to be the victim. Right? Oh, you thought, yeah. you, so you so thought I, it was going to be Lynette? Yeah. So oh, I, I, I thought it was, was no, so I, I thought it was, was going to be Lynette. The way it was everything, the characters were playing off for her. I, I thought, OK, it's going to be her. Um, and, and then because I try not to, like, do any reading about about death on the Nile to, to be fresh. Um, and then it was like, OK, it looks like Jackie's going to be doing it. She's going to set this up. Somehow it's going to be her, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so but the way that all played out, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I, the people, she has an alibi, you know, and it seems like some people have alibis here. So how is this all going to play out? Right. So mm-hmm. I was up for I was up for. I was up for the mystery and to be surprised by it. Nice. Except for the J. I think when they put the J yeah, on I was the like, wall, I was just like, okay, well. That's a little ridiculous. They, it, it made it even more obvious. that like, well, they clearly trying to frame poor Jackie. Like, hasn't she been through enough? She w- lost her lover to this fucking bitch. And now, and now she's it's getting framed, framed for, for her murder. murder. Yeah. So that was enough to actually throw me off. Uh, I feel yeah. like Poirot was very, very quick. He just accused everyone outright. Yeah. <laughs> he played out every situation it could possibly be to see which one made the most sense. And and the filmmakers showed every situation. After a while, I was like, are they going to do this for everybody? Like a fake? Right. Like, what it if felt they like did Clue. It? it did feel like Clue, yeah. And I was just like, I was like, oh. I'm not liking this. I was like, I was like, oh, they're really committing it to like it could be two minutes apart, and they're doing it again, um, which is interesting. I also thought that the the way that the filmmaker like shot like when they're in Abu Simple and the 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 the, the piece of stone falls over in the net ridgeway, and then yeah. they all come running, and it's like camera pans left, Betty Davis arrives, camera yeah. pans right, and two more people arrive. Like you're literally mm-hmm. like it's very like um, real time ish in an interesting way or also maybe it's just yeah. old school filmmaking but the way he did i thought it was actually kind of funny but i i was also here for it did you um, see did you notice so did you figure it out from then like who at least did that because i did yes yeah, so it's interesting because the one thing that christy does a lot is that she has a bunch of little other things that are supposed to throw you off right but if you're, you know, if you at least read enough of her books and you're smart enough, you're like, okay, this might be a slup subpot thing or this might be something else. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the more, I guess, complicated. Some of them are simpler, but yeah, there's a lot of other stuff because there's other people trying to do other stuff, right? So, you know, is the person who throws the stone off at Abu Simple the same person who tries, who killed Lynette Ridgway? No. And what's the reason for it? Well, that's the reason that Colonel Race is there, right? So somebody else did attempt to kill Annette Ridgeway, but the person who actually killed her are not the same person. So that's that supposed to throw you because off. Because it didn't happen and she died some other way. I don't did know. We just forget about that crime. I think his or financial crimes. Andrew's crimes well, in general. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was my question at the end of this film. It's just like, so Andrew still committed these crimes, right? Like. Something's going to happen to him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They, I think, I don't know, something's got to happen to him. Um, and they create a nice, ended up creating a nice little like space to sit now. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it, one murder does not just happen. There's not, it's not a death on the Nile. It's deaths on the Nile because two more people die. Louise Borgenon is found with her throat fucking slit. Mm-hmm. And then, while saying, I know who killed uh, Louise Bergeron because I saw them, 
Salome Otterborn is shot in the fucking face, right? So, Who, and I will say this. She deserved it. She deserved it. Okay. <laughs> she definitely <laughs> had it coming because it. it's why? Just like, she's so theatrical. Yeah, she was just, like so ridiculous. Just say yeah. who it is. Why? She was just saying. Like, like, start from the beginning. Because Simon's like, all right, I'm going to hold this bitch because I know she likes the drama. So yeah. I'm going to get her to oh, start from spoiler. the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he just drops. Spoilers. I, like I said, Sorry. if you don't want to know anything, <laughs> spoiler. Cut me out. Cut me out. That's the no, thing. No, no, it's fine. So yeah. after a while, there's all these little fucking clues, right? Louise Bergeron is holding um, uh, some, you know, dollar notes in her hands. There's this thing about Poirot notices nail polish that was missing or like that had been completely emptied out in Lynette Ridgeway's compartment. You know, he's finding all these little things that he's trying to put the puzzle pieces together. And then he finally does. And he's also like, how many bullets were fired? Because then they find the gun. They find, you know, Miss Schuler's missing scarf. And they're all wrapped together and thrown in. And it's like, hmm, how many bullets were fired? Hmm, whatever. So at the end, Poirot gathers all everyone together, all the suspects. Wait, he actually, specifically, he says, give me 30 minutes. And then gather everyone. It's yeah. like, what? People are dying. Like, why are we waiting 30 minutes, Poirot? He, he needed to be sure. <laughs> He was um, freshening up. He was freshening up. I think it's what he said. I will change outfits. Yeah, he, he had to exercise his little gray scales. Um, yeah, and then he gathers everybody together, and he tells them what happened. And what happened was that Simon Doyle and Jackie Belfour were lovers the whole time, and the whole marriage was a sham, and that her following them was also just a big fucking game that they were playing. To it was all for one, show. For, one for show to kind of probably drive Lynette fucking crazy and provide themselves with excellent alibis so that they would not be, uh, you know, suspected for the murder of Lynette Rudgeway. When Jackie shots, shoots the gun, she conveniently misaimed and he had the nail polish ready to make it seem like they were blood. Then he told everyone to leave him alone. And while he was left alone, he goes and he runs and kills Lynette Ridgeway. The other two murders are done by Jackie. So it's a, cr- it's a crime of passion. <laughs> You know, <laughs> to brush it off, and then Jackie committed two more. <laughs> and then yeah, and then Jackie shot someone in the face and slit someone's throat, uh, <laughs> which is fucking. I mean, they're all really cold-blooded murders, you know, and like greed and passion and lust, you know, like so many deadly sins are involved here, and it's so interesting too because this really is one of the the core books of Christie's that focuses on this, you know, there's always kind of like a different theme going on uh, in some of her books, you know, whether it's like, you know, a person who feel like there wasn't any sense of justice or, or yeah, like murder in the Orient express was kind of about justice and a lack of justice. And these people finally getting what they thought, you know, the justice that they deserved where this was just pure greed and pure also like unadulterated passion and love Uh, and lust. Yeah. I should say lust. This one was more lusty than... Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they loved each other in their own way, but they lusted money and they lusted an extravagant life. You know, and it was actually Jackie who was like, oh, I could have been happy just being with him, but Simon needed wealth, so we decided to kill uh, yeah. fucking... And, and the, then they needed... And then they they die. They commit suicide. They do, well, and that... Actually, Jackie kills Simon and then commits suicide. Yeah, she realizes Again, that they're never going to live the life that they wanted, you know, so... I'm just thinking, it's just like, wrote, you're letting this happen. Yeah, let this happen. Point yeah, like, it's kind of on you. Well, and once again, the Nile's water turns to blood. Yeah, and it deaths. ends with like five corpses being t- removed from yeah. the Karnak, and it's like, what? <laughs> Is happened? that a biblical reference, Eddie? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, 
in the book, actually, they are being escorted off to jail, and somehow Jackie, and you know, obviously Simon can't walk, so he's being like, uh, you know, escorted away on a, a carrier. And she somehow, you know, retrieves. She like stole a gun from someone in the middle of the night, and she goes and she shoots him, and then shoots herself while they're all like, "Why would she shoot?" I, I'm more shocked that she. I if I were her, and what I expected would happen was that she was going to shoot Poirot. At the very least, get one last bit of revenge. She's, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's like when these Scooby Doo villains, like you know, you have one last shot. Might as well take out the dog who brought you down. Yeah, so interesting, right? Actually, in the movie, they made Jackie's very last words be. Monsieur Poirot, and then she just kills herself, you know, which I thought was interesting. So, yeah, and that actually set me up because I thought it's just like I told Eddie, I'm like, I bet you, I bet you in the new one, she's going to point the gun to at, at Poirot. And she, yeah, I wonder. Well, and I was close. I was close with what happened at the you end were of, close, the, of the yeah. new one. But also, don't you think that that's also more of a fuck you? It's like, okay, yeah, like, uh, I'm going to say your name and then I'm going to kill myself. Live with that, you fucking Belgian asshole. Um, could but, be. I mean, he. I mean, I don't know. I just I feel like know. he was only tender to her. Yeah, like, really. Like throughout this, he yeah. really cared. I really. It's like he just. He just seemed to care about her and like, like knowing that this is this is just gonna lead you into darkness. Mm-hmm. She's gonna be miserable. This is like your chance. He wanted you. He was like I. He was like begging her almost. Like I want you to have this chance to to like leave this leave yeah. the past behind and start something new yeah and she just wouldn't listen yeah. and, and he told her and and then she's like well i guess you were right <laughs> kills herself you know and it's actually really sad it's a huge tragedy so i guess i want to ask did you oh. when the the murder got revealed were you like oh okay was there any element of surprise you know were you like oh that was kind of clever you know because murder mysteries they are supposed to kind of surprise you if you don't get them um, did you think that was well executed in the story and, and in the film? Hmm. I knew the red was going to play a part. The red nail polish. I didn't think... I think the adding the extra bullet was kind of not... Not... I don't know, because this one kind of got wrapped up with like the new science, right? It's just like, oh, there's a new science and we could test your your finger we could test like if your the moulage uh, gu- test if, yeah, yeah if the yeah if the gunpowder was on you and i don't know it's true we do have those tests those are real mm-hmm. but it just felt like just like okay so they gave up like they could have they could have they could have we're in egypt i mean what are the odds that the moulage yeah. test is, 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 well, is were, happening yeah. here like they had to travel back to the west I, I feel like they have plenty of time to like. They're also on a boat, the, you know, chemicals. Yeah. surrounded by people who are so armed. So they were they were a little. But, uh, but was he going on the fact that um, Simon is simple? Yeah, you, might you be, know, yeah. in this in this and going like I'll just you know like I'll say this, and um, maybe he'll get scared and end up confessing. Yeah, yeah. true, true. Like we, and like he I was know it's you. Already. Yeah, it's like I know it's you. I know it's you. He's like, uh, and then I just have this little test and it's going to prove to everybody that it's you. And, you know, this was such a well-laid plan for them. And then their plan just went to shit. So it's kind of like they were panicking, you know, like, what the fuck do we do now? Well, maybe we're caught. We have nothing left to fucking do. And if we can't live the life that we want to live, she even said it herself. She would die if she couldn't have Simon. So and now him, you know, he's he's got a bullet lodged in his leg. So he'll never be the same. You know, they're, they're done for, you know. 
Um, so that didn't, I don't know. I, I wasn't like, no, you could get away. I also wasn't rooting for them to get away with it. Because <laughs> they yeah. it, was, it was kind of fucked up what they did. I yeah. wasn't not rooting for them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I was like... So, okay, I, I but... Didn't feel, I didn't feel like it was a tragedy at the end. Yeah, not, I, I did not feel the emotional heaviness. Okay, all that, right. That, that um as we speak about the second one that I received from the second one, but I didn't feel like the emotional, like, okay, yeah, it's the mystery. we got the mystery. Very interesting. I, I love, I mean, uh, the, these larger than life characters and um, just, there was a humor to each and every one of them. Yeah. You know, um, so, I mean, I, I got that, but I really didn't feel anything. I did not feel much for, the deaths that took place yeah besides them being deaths and part I, I, of I, yeah yeah the plot of the story Agreed. i kind of felt like i i at the end i was just like hmm. oh well but well, you know, <laughs> i just felt like the the actress mia mia farrow right mia yeah. farrow mm-hmm. she was amazing she's great. oh yeah no she was, she was just yeah. so amazing and um i felt like the, i felt like maybe they had to tone down her like her, her face or something because i felt like any moment she could just be so much more beautiful Aww. than than um, Lynette Ridgeway, yeah. Lynette, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, when she oh, comes oh, to oh, see, yeah, there was just something like there was something about her that was so more interesting to look at. Yeah, it was agree. more captivating. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I felt like I felt like wow, maybe they're just toning down her makeup or something because I feel she had a little blush here, maybe a little eyeliner. She would just be. A knockout compared yeah. to well you know it's for me i guess i thought it was more of like a tragedy because at the end of murder or the orn express you know even like poirot's like oh i know this is what happens but i'm not gonna tell the police that because you were kind of like you know what i get why you guys fucking killed this guy and uh it's justice was served so let's leave it at that but you know you didn't walk away being like that was a f- pretty fucking righteous murder like these two young kids who were just so fucking head over heels you know unhinged with their lust for one another contrived this whole plan for a better life actually if you think about it you know they were like oh lynette's a spoiled you know cunt so let's just kill her and take her money and we'll be happily ever after and it just and they ended up killing three fucking people over it and then themselves and that's like that's actually that's fucked up (laughs) like that scenario itself is just like it's actually one of her darkest, if if you ask me. Um, I, I I don't know. I feel like Law and Order SVU has left me numb to these kinds of things. <laughs> I was just like, eh. I, all right, okay, all right. Well, the, the mystery might not have been the best part for you, so let's talk about some performances. Obviously, I know we're all a fan of Mia Farrow, and I have a yeah. sneaking suspicion that Rolando hated Peter Ustinov as Poirot. So I just want to give I you did. that. Yeah, I did not like him, uh, especially coming after. Uh, Alfred Albert Finney. Finney Albert Finney uh he he's literally the most recent Poirot I saw because I, I think I saw the other one no 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 that's not true I saw Kenneth Branagh uh yeah I, I preferred Alfred Finney and here I was just like I, I would have let down he was just so ugh. I did I it was not a I didn't care to his performance wow I mean he made me laugh I thought he was okay I mean I didn't want to laugh I didn't want to. <laughs> you didn't want to laugh yeah, at all. It's true. Yeah, I didn't want yeah. to laugh. Is really what it was. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. It's because it's a murder mystery. Like I don't want jokes in a murder well, mystery. But you also have to lighten the mood somehow. And it's no, like no, no. I'm okay with lightening the mood somehow, but not having my main character be kind of like quirky. It just annoyed me. Interesting. Yeah, like that's it. That's the kind of music I imagine every time he walked. Like very. 
like a natural beard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, he made a choice. At the Poirot that he depicted is not the Poirot I get in the books. Honestly, the closest would probably be the David Suchet series, but film-wise would be Albert Finney. That's the closest to who Poirot is in the books. And yet, there was, it was kind of like he made it his own, but then he also was giving us a bit of what, you know, you want to see in a Poirot thing. He had a nice, for me, he had a nice balance. Um, oh. And I actually don't mind Peter Ustinov, so... Um, I also thought that it was great to see fucking Betty Davis, you know, at the end of the day, just being Betty Davis, but you know, she, she was wonderful. She's such she a, was good. Um, she's lovely. I love her. I feel like she was underutilized. Yeah. A little bit. A little I bit. actually think I, I might've preferred her in the role of, uh, uh, the one that, that, uh, murder she wrote had. Oh, Salome Altaborn. Yeah. I think yes. Betty Davis actually might've done yes, better in that yes, role. Yes, to be yes, quite honest. I also feel like. I feel like the Maggie Smith character played off, played off more of that character of of her character. Mm. So I felt like it was more like the, uh, Maggie Smith's character playing off of Betty Davis's character, and, and as a result, Bet uh, Maggie Smith got to shine. Yeah, because she when she was funny, she was funny, but like not. It wasn't like a ha 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 funny. It was more. It felt more like a a funny British. Fraser joke, funny. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. Ooh, oh, like ooh, throwing that shade. Yeah, yeah she's yeah, throwing yeah. that shade left to right. <laughs> okay, I would say the performances I didn't enjoy so much were uh, Jack Warden as the doctor because Jack Warden is he's American, he's not German, and you know it's just it was kind of he just I thought he was really miscast in that. Um, I don't disagree with you, but I also didn't care for the doctor's character. So yeah, he wasn't even there. And then also the 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 head of the Karnak was you know just has not aged well. Um, uh, yeah, but also I just he was just there. Um, I don't know. You know who I also didn't really like? Uh, Poirot's friend. Yeah. I don't know Race. why. He just annoyed me. Interesting. Wow, David yeah. Niven. I've never wow. Because okay. he did nothing. He's just like he's just there. It's just like oh my god. Like you could try to rack your gray cells too, bro. Like <laughs> like. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. No one can come near to the kind of you know brilliance that Poirot is. So next to Poirot, anyone's just gonna look like a fucking idiot. And then yeah, and then Angela Lansbury. I think was I liked her in theory, but it was too over the top for me that I was just didn't. Mm. jive with it completely okay well i think you know we've been talking about this original one for an hour so we should move on to the next one but i just want to say a couple things the cinematography is also by jack cardiff although i wouldn't say that this is a fantastic example of his cinematography um uh, the black narcissus uh he he was a cinematographer for that which is a visually stunning film in the red shoes i think he's one of the greatest cinematographers of all time so you know he's got um he's a cinematographer here and there are some pretty interesting shots even though but they kind of wanted like a drier you know like they didn't want to like make everything look pretty that was one of the things i remember reading about how they approached that they succeeded in. let me tell you there you go they definitely succeeded because you were not into it um i didn't i don't i don't know if i found anything i don't know i thought this I honestly felt this movie felt a little basic and I was kind of like let down. Well, then, compared to Murder on the Orient Express, it, it it's nowhere near. Oh, yes. Compared yes, to Murder yes. on the Orient Express, yes. But then in retrospect, compared to the, the latest one. Okay, so before we get there, this is a 
more literate adaptation of the book and it kind of felt that way sometimes especially since it was over two hours so i was like okay you're staying pretty damn faithful to this book it was like two hours and 40 minutes yeah 20 uh but 20? it could have oh, it could have trimmed like off hours, some fats minutes. yeah it could have trimmed some fat i do agree that it was too long um it had like a budget of around eight million and in the u.s alone it grossed 14 million it was very successful and peter ustinov starred as Hercule poirot in two more films because it was what successful enough. <laughs> I hope I don't have to and watch it. And I can't it. wait until we, we watch them. Um, and this film actually did win an Academy Award for Best Costume Design at the... Uh, oh, oh yeah. I mean, that yellow dress probably sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's one of the best things of most of these films is the period costume designs and stuff. Um, I'll tell you who had the worst fashion, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> You're just coming for fucking Angela Lansbury, man. It's not her. That's not um, her fault. She didn't pick the fashion, but like, I don't know what the getup they were giving her was. <laughs> and yet I'm here for it. Um, yeah. 1978, the year that the deer hunter came out and won the the best uh, Oscar for I did best like Maggie picture. Smith's so. pantsuits though. Yeah, no. Well, Maggie Smith's great. Seeing a young Maggie Smith, too, was just kind of like, oh, wow, I, I never see you in an age-appropriate role. That's great. And yet somehow, some way... She looked 50. No, she still uh, looked... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now I think it's time that we started talking about the new Kenneth Branagh one. Now, uh, Rolando's going to give us a little bit of backstory on that, but I do just want to say that, you know, obviously the 2017 Murder on the Orient Express we covered, it was okay, especially compared to the Sydney, uh, Sydney Lumet film of the 1974 one. But, you know, anything that does decently successfully, and I think Murder on the Orient Express, uh, Kenneth Branagh's, was a bit of a sleeper hit. You know, it grossed very well at the box office. And they, shocker. Yeah. And they did that weird, like, James Bond thing at the end where they were like, Hercule Poirot will be back to solve the thing in the Nile. Like, I remember Murder on the Orient Express. It ended that way. He got like a, yeah, he got like a telegram or something that you're needed in Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. So they pretty much had set it up for a sequel and stuff. And, Uh, um, yeah. And they filmed this movie back in 2019, you know. But what happened, Rolando? Let's go back. So, as you said, uh, Kenneth Branagh. He, after I guess the success of uh, of uh, Murder on the Orient Express, Twentieth Century Fox greenlit the film. Kenneth Branagh came back as both Poirot and as director. Gal Gadot she joined the cast in twenty eighteen, uh, followed by Army Hammer, who I think did that. I don't know if that decision aged well because he's kind of. I don't know if he's canceled, but he is on thin ice at the moment and uh tom bateman was confirmed to reprise his role as book for the film i don't remember book in the original in the in the first one so like in guy, Express, yeah. I felt, so like this guy i was just like who is he he's like a friend of poirot but i don't know who he is <laughs> I, I thought it was like a new guy they introduced in terms okay i'm just finding out that he was from the first one so that's how forgettable Murder on the Orient Express from uh, uh, what year was it? 2017. 2017, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, so production of this began in 2019. Uh, it was set to uh, a lot of the uh, principal photography began in 2019 at the Long Cross Studios in England. It was supposed to actually be filmed on in the, so they realized it was too complicated to film in Egypt, so they were going to settle with Morocco. However, uh, Kenneth Branagh wanted to actually shoot like a real boat. So they built a boat, a life-size boat 
for the set and they kind of had it like on uh these like almost like roller coaster tracks underneath the the water to make it look like it's like sailing uh not sailing but like you know steaming across the nile uh let me see and then yeah so you're right the film was supposed to be released in 20 21 well i think it was actually originally slated for like a holiday 2019 but then it got pushed back to 2020 and then how 2019 they started filming in 2019 they started filming early 2019 and yeah so they were they were hoping they could get it oh you're right 2020 uh, december 2019 yeah but they they needed more time so they pushed it back to 2020 and then pandemic hit the pandemic hit and then I guess they just decided it's just like, well, we don't want to release it to streaming, so let's release it in twenty twenty two. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, no, they were going to release it in twenty twenty one, and then the Army Hammer shit happened, and then they oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that's oh, so that's okay. So yeah, and they and even they, considered like they 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 put it on hold because they're like, do we have to refilm his fucking scenes? And they came with to the conclusion that they would not, right? The yeah, studios, they, they, they did know. the smart thing of like saying it's just like people will forget. I didn't, but no. people, most people will forget. I they, feel like everyone know, who's talking all... about Death of the Nile is bringing up Am- Army Hammer like that. So. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. I, I thought that people would have forgotten because of you know, no, I don't know, Kanye West is going crazy on on, on Pete Davidson, so. I thought that's what's hot right now on the <laughs> I guess on I the zeitgeist. Uh, I didn't even know about that, so I don't know. But oh, again, let me tell you, I'm not the tea. millennial. <laughs> yeah, tell me after. Um, but yeah, so interestingly enough, too. Um, <clears throat> oh my god, how did I just completely? Oh my lose god, what I was gonna say? I'm sorry. I'm just thinking in my head now that I would love to see now a real life Death on the Nile where it's like Kim Kardashian and Pete <laughs> Davidson. <laughs> and Kanye, Kanye West, West shows them. up that would I yeah I'm for that <laughs> now this is a movie I want to see in um, 2020 I do I do think this film was somewhat re-edited because of the army hammer uh, scandal so I do want to I want to say that you know that was a reason why it got pushed back and of course you know right now is a hard time for movies uh, that are coming out theatrically for, to get people in the theater. The Murder on the Orient Express was such a hit, mainly because a lot of people who went to go see it was older than fifty, right? I mean, it's just uh, it's just the type of movie that that people of that age group would go to the theater to see, right? And this was a different yeah. time where people were going to the theater all the fucking time. Uh, it's actually crazy how to think, you know, a movie like Death on the Nile could have easily pulled in ninety million before and like met its budget, and now it's only bringing in thirty million. Um, it's just a completely different world now for, for theatrical releases. And Hollywood just is trying everything they can to figure out, you know, how do we get back to normal or what do we fucking do? Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they picked a, they, I mean, they picked a good time to drop this film. I think Valentine's Day weekend, you know, you have couples wanting to go see uh, if you're a couple going out, you Pro- and I'm painting broad strokes here, but most likely you're not going to want to see like an action movie. Uh, so your options, I think, this weekend, this opening weekend, would have been Mer- uh, Death on the Nile or Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez. Yes. Uh, if you are married to Eddie or uh, Eddie Z, you would have wanted to see Marry Me. Yeah. Marry Me, please. Oh, did you guys go to the theater uh, twice? No, because no, you no. can see that on Peacock. You can see on Peacock. It's okay. Oh, but gosh, yeah. what was that movie that was recommended to us as we were going into the theater? Oh, some random lady yelled at us to go. She was drunk and should not be driving. 
<laughs> she uh was recommended. We don't know she was drunk. We don't know she was drunk. She smelt it. No. Uh she recommended Blacklight, Black Fight. Liam Neeson movie, yeah. I haven't yeah. heard of she like, you have that picture of this. We're walking towards the theater and she comes in her giant SUV and rolls down the window and she's like, What are you gonna go see? And we're like, uh, yeah, we're going to see Death on the Nile. She says, oh, I thought you were going to go see Blacklight. It was so good. And then she puts the pedal to the metal. This, yeah. <laughs> this has to be some guerrilla marketing shit. Because <laughs> I had not heard of this movie at all. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then it's like, is that alcohol? Do I see alcohol in the air? Is this so weird? Oh, my God. See, adventures at the movie theater already. I fucking love it. Never would have happened yeah. if we stayed at home. <laughs> That is, that I love that. Oh, and let's not forget that we we went to go because you have to buy at the machine, like your popcorn and your soda. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it, it, it then it charges me twice, denies oh, my true. card. I finally get it a third time, and um, then I find out that the machine was broken, so it actually did charge me. Uh, the two times before. Oh, no. But then it's not just me. It's like everybody else. So we Everyone had to wait this long line us, of yeah. people with like, yeah, they just we just got charged for this. And, and let me tell you, this would not have happened if we had just stayed home. I was kind of mad, to be honest, Damn it. a little bit that I couldn't that I was just like, well, I don't know, like Disney couldn't just put this on Hulu. It's a 20th century production. I'm I sorry. guess yeah. No, the, the pandemic has the I, pandemic has changed the fact where I'm just really like I'm is. ready. I'm just like, but that's the thing. I'm like, ready to watch it at home it, all the time. No, movie theaters are disappearing from our lives. And before you know, if this happens and if you continue to choose to stay at home, you're never going to have that fucking experience of being in a movie theater again, and you're going to miss it. Okay, we even said Cruella was something we wanted to see in a theater. So like, no, stop being oh, fucking I lazy. I I would be everybody. okay. I didn't want to. No, well, I'd maybe okay. it was me and Eddie Z. Stop being lazy. Get out of your fucking house and go support no. the arts. No, you can support the arts just as if it's I'm not the, the same. No, you're price, not. You're not. If I'm paying the full ticket nobody price, knows the numbers of how streaming works anymore. OK, it's not enough. It's not successful enough unless it was made for that platform and they put that in the budget. It's not enough to no, be supporting the I'm arts. I'm talking about I'm talking about if you release a movie, I would pay the price of like two of a of a, I would pay like what the twenty four dollars to watch a new movie at home. And you you calculate however much that is, because uh, now I'm not talking about like having it released as part of a streaming, like not you know how like HBO Max is like bundled in. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like I would pay, I would have paid the twenty four dollars to stay at home and watch this film at home. But you would have missed out on the surround sound, you would have missed out on the big screen, and you would have missed out on the thrill of watching a film with strangers, which is no, everyone has uh, everyone has a story, not stupid assholes like Rolando. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to call you that. So I didn't mean that. It's um, fine. N- but everyone has a story of going to the theater and making the fact that they saw it with this many people and their reactions that much better. Everyone has a story. I don't, it's, like it's, that. True, there, it's true. It's true. There are movies that that are that I want. Those are for me the big blockbuster films. It's true. Not uh, not a film like Murder, Death on the Nile. But that's like, that, that's also been... what's going to become the thing now. Only blockbusters can survive in this. And but like. Yeah. Film needs the balance. And, and, and we don't just not any blockbuster. It would yeah. have to be a Marvel production. Yeah. Too. No. No. I am looking forward to seeing the Batman on the big screen. But if you example. don't, oh, well, go, it would be a superhero thing. Right. Yeah. If you don't go support non-superhero or big blockbuster films, these films are going to disappear. They're not going to make That's them anymore. Not true. When was the last time they released a theatrical f- comedy in theaters? Other no. Marry Me is like the first in two fucking years. No. No. Free. Free guy. Free guy that was also released yeah, to HBO so- Max. 
No, it wasn't. Is that no, an HBO Max? This one wasn't. Yeah, because I would have seen it. Free Guy, yeah, because I, I wanted to see it. It's, yeah. It was released in theaters. Well, the, the big comedies that I've known about, like uh, all, the, all the girls I've loved, to all the boys I've loved before, uh, Barb and Star, Delve. But that's the thing. They're becoming now more streaming originals. I Want You Back is a new one that's going to be an Amazon Prime thing. Like it, They're not but, considering it anymore for, uh, for a theatrical release because people don't go out to see non-blockbusters anymore. And I think that's my. I'm okay with what's wrong with like watching some of these like uh, not. I don't know. So I know the movie you're talking about, right? Like the Please Love Me or Please I Want You Back. That one. Mm-hmm. Like that is not a movie that I want to go schlep to the movie theaters and pay like thirty dollars for popcorn. You and don't I just uh, well, watch maybe it. the popcorn, but you only pay six dollars for the ticket. It doesn't matter. I would pay the twenty four dollars to be at home and just eat my own food, drink my own drink, pause it when I want. What you know what I mean? Like they, I, you know what? The pandemic has changed me, and I just want to be now. I don't want to be. I, I'm not saying that I want to be at home all the time. I'm just saying when it comes to the movies, I'm okay with like watching some of these smaller films at home and not having to be in a theater. I just don't understand why I agreed to do a movie podcast with someone who doesn't. Well, we did this before the podcast, before the pandemic. Doesn't, you know? but like other people i feel like i have to convince this not you not my co-host for a film podcast not supposed to enjoy studied, the like, filmmaking and stuff yeah i understand look i love the, the the process of filmmaking and i love watching films but i don't subscribe to the belief that like i have to be in a theater to enjoy and uh, to enjoy film. i'm not like, saying that every single fucking movie you have to but at the same time if you don't go out and support them that this will be an experience that will no longer be available to us and since film was fucking made it was about watching it in a group uh, in a theater with people right unless it was a nickelodeon or something that you you know put your eye hole through like this has been the experience part of what made movies going to a theater sitting in a room full of strangers and watching it bigger than fucking life and it's Mm -hmm. it's dying all right so if you you care about the experience and and the memories that you have of seeing films and you want to continue you have to go out and support especially the non-blockbusters or else it's going to go away the world changes and you just got to just adapt and go with the flow. I'm now, totally I, cool I, with change, but some things should be, you know, if we care about them and we still want them, then we should fight for them. Well, yeah. And I, I, but <laughs> I'm going with the change. I, I actually just like, yeah, I'm okay with like being home and watching some of these okay. movies. I'm going to put a pause on this conversation and we're going to start talking about the 2022 death on the Nile. Um, because how did we even get to this? Because uh, I'm more devastated about the fact that people aren't going to the theaters. And then you said something and it set me off. So <laughs> <laughs> this um, I, that's how I remember it. Anyway. So, yeah, it took forever for this movie to get released, but they decided Super Bowl weekend would be it. And, you know, it's actually doing OK. What they projected it would get, it got. Um, and Kenneth Branagh is right now, you know, basking in the success of all the Oscar nominations and all the accolade, uh, accolade he's getting for the film Belfast and stuff. Um, and who literally, right before we started the podcast, I was just like, I've never heard of, I didn't even know he was a knight. I'd never heard of Kenneth Branagh before. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and, uh, maybe like, by We name. covered him before, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, who? Really? No. <laughs> I knew we did a murder on the Orient Express. But yeah, so... Death on the Nile, such an obvious uh, sequel to Murder on the Other Express to keep the Poirot cinematic universe alive. And, and this is our first sequel that we're covering, like a direct sequel. A direct sequel, yeah, which is, this is a very yeah. interesting uh, case. Um, 
So when we covered Murder on the Orient Express, one of my big complaints was his mustache because, you know, it's kind of like Sherlock Holmes with the pipe and the hat and stuff. You know, it's almost becomes iconic in terms of the visual identifications of a character. And, and Poirot's mustache is very important to, you know, that, yeah, that identifier of who he is. But also, like, it's kind of, you know, part of, like, his fussy demeanor and, you know, his analness and stuff. And... um it's just kind of like, you know, you want to see how he looks. And Kenneth Branagh just chose to kind of do his own fucking thing with it. And the choice of him just doing his own fucking thing with Agatha Christie's source material has continued with Death on the Nile. Kind of hardcore. The movie begins with a fucking origin story of mm. the hipster mustache. It becomes Which was a bold choice to pick for a sequel, but okay. Yeah. It's like, he's like, I want to make, you know, this is the closest I'm going to get right now to a war film. So I'm going to make a uh, uh, World War One scene. Knock off 1914. 1917? Oh. That too. Uh, of yeah. Glory. You know, he, he does a scene that's a direct homage to the trenches and whatnot. All Quiet on the Western Front. You know, some World War One iconic movies that come to mind. And we find out, you know, why he, he got, he didn't have a mustache. And then, you know, stuff happened in the war and he got it. And it was also kind of like a mask. This movie tells us that his mustache is a mask that he wears to protect himself. It's like his armor almost, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, to shield himself from, you know, the realities of what it is of being alive. Right. This whole fucking thing starts the movie off. Then we cut to 1937. At least I hope it's 1937, the year the book was made. Um and Poirot is going to a jazz club. And at this right. jazz club, dancing really sexily, is Simon and Jackie to the music of Salome Otterborn, who in this movie is a jazz musician and um, is not, you know, a white alcoholic woman anymore. She's actually this fucking awesome jazz musician. Um, I thought it was a nice, I thought that was a good upgrade. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, we're like, we're we're going there already. We're changing, you know, people's uh, occupations and, and and all this stuff. And Rosalie is kind of like her manager, you know, her daughter, and they have like this fun relationship. So that whole dynamic right now, completely changed, you know. And also the mm-hmm. big thing is that they're black, you know, which is also now we're making it more diverse. The the, the cast, you know, it's not just going to be a bunch of fucking privileged white people. Um, you know, which could be mostly privileged white people. Yes. Not incredibly realistic for the thirties, because the one thing I will say is that Agatha Christie books can get like timely in the sense where they, there's moments of some extreme racism. So it's not the most realistic, but you know, I guess whatever. Well, yeah. But we also complained about that with, uh, murder on uh, the Orient express. Yeah. With, uh, Leslie Odom. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, um, you're kind of like you know ignoring history and the fact of how these uh, how people would have been accurately portrayed but you know i guess the movie is also a murder mystery and we're supposed to have fun so i guess we're supposed to just go with it but which I, is I fine think for some a jazz singer at like clubs was a little more palatable i think to swallow in terms of like okay like i could see clubs you know for going racist, there's racist tendencies to give a good show because at the end of the day, white people constantly use black bodies for entertainment purposes. So yeah. that didn't strike me as completely, uh, like it didn't strike me as, uh, as like this big, like, uh, like this big, like, you know, this is unbelievable, you know? Yeah. As no. much as like, 
Leslie Odom's character, for example, like that was a character that I thought was uh, well-intentioned, but it kind of felt like, okay, but like you're kind of really ignoring history because yeah, I just yeah. feel like, a, you know. Yeah, no, actually, um, uh, I'm not like a complete purist in the sense, you know, so that upgrade of making her, you know, jazz singer and non-alcoholic and stuff, it didn't, it didn't actually bother me. She's um, a functioning alcoholic because he reveals that she drinks several times a day but yeah but it's not like a big thing like it was Well, she's not like a sloppy drunk like angela lansbury was yes exactly um and at this club at this very night that hercule poirot just happens to be there observing everybody uh lynette ridgeway comes in by invite from jackie to meet simon doyle so you know hopefully you could give him a job and all so we get the relationship dynamic between jackie and lynette and then you know, we're supposed to find out, uh, see the relationship between Jackie and Simon. And then Lynette comes in and is when we see that she steals Simon and they have this immediate chemistry all happening on the dance floor with her Hercule Poirot watching. Cut to a couple months yep. later with Poirot vacationing in uh, Egypt and he sees some guy flying a kite on the pyramid and it happens to be Buck or Book, whatever. Mm. Book is there Book. who was in the Murder on the Orient Express. And I don't remember him. And I don't remember him either. But I kind of when I was like, oh, I think we've met him before. Okay. And he's there with his mother, played by a brand new made-up character. Uh, Annette Benning plays her. I forget what they Who called I her. I kept thinking was Catherine O'Hara. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I don't know. They kind of <laughs> look alike. Yeah. Uh, Euphemia is what they named her. What a name. Yes. And, uh, are we going to go see? Wait, are we going to go scene by scene for everything here? Or? I'm just trying to set up some of these differences and okay, the characters the big differences? here. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Schuler is in this one, and her nurse companion, Miss Bowers, is also here. Those haven't yes. changed. Um, the doctor <laughs> changed a little Something's bit. Changed. Something's changed. Uh, the doctor is there, played by Russell Brand, but in this Who, one, I didn't. I didn't know it was Russell Brand. Yeah. It's so interesting. So interesting. Yeah. I, I had yeah, no he idea did a pretty it was good him. Job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. It, I thought oh. it was a good performance, yeah. actually. I will say that. Um, he plays yeah. the doctor. I was, more like, I was more surprised. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But he was also the former fiance of Lynette Reggie. Yes. Which I, now there's a there's not a contrivance, but like it's just like that's a stretch. It's just like, why? Why are we bringing him around? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh to you know top it off uh her cousin andrew is there you know her cousin and lawyer who um is another person of they decided to you know uh extend the diversity even more and andrew is another person of color um and uh you know it's interesting too because given england's like history with um with like india and that part of the world mm-hmm. you know i do wonder how realistic that would have worked out this i agree worked out but you know i agree whatever kind of fantasy here and uh i guess that's uh, we also have louise version on him i don't think i'm forgetting anyone i think that's pretty much the main people who are on this boat uh now here's the th- here's the thing Everyone who's there was actually invited this time. So that for me worked because in the original book, they all just so happened to be there. Some of them, you know, secretly exactly. planned it, but everyone here was invited. And that was right. smart because it wasn't like, oh, how did these old people just happen to be on the Karnak with her? Like, no, this is a honeymoon. You know, I don't know why they're fucking inviting people to their honeymoon, but they're having a honeymoon party. And well, they're rich. They're having it with enough champagne to fill the Nile, as Gal Gadot says. Are um, you throwing shade? Maybe. At Gal Gadot. 
maybe we'll get to that in a second um I guess the one thing I do want to say uh is that I really felt like this film did not really establish motives and mystery very well this kind of felt like a hangout movie Right. Oh, that's, okay. There was I... uh, there was an interesting s- song choices, a lot of fun party scenes, and it was great. And there's this one party scene, you know, you're watching everybody, and then books just like, oh, that's Mrs. Schuler, and she's this. Oh, and that's you know, Euphemia, and she's this. Oh, and that's uh, Mrs. Alterborn, and she's this. And you're getting like, it's almost like, oh, you're that was it was an info dump. You know, info book. dump without actually seeing all these relationships with Lynette Ridgeway play out, like we got in the '78 film. And there's one scene where, you know, when they go to Abu Sempo and then, you know, the thing's about to fall on her and then they're riding back in their their little boats and she's looking at everyone like, oh, my God, everyone here is a threat to me and I don't feel safe with anyone. But then, like, the camera pans to Mrs. Shuler and I'm like, what the fuck is Mrs. did Mrs. Shuler do to you? Isn't she like your godmother? Why are you afraid of her? What did Euphemia do to you? Like, she's, like, literally, like, there's a shot of Gal Gadot looking around, like, scared and, like, not feeling safe. But then the people that the camera cuts to, I'm like, but you haven't established any reason to be scared of all of these characters but other Mrs. than two Schuller, of them. Mrs. Schuler was a proud communist and believed that the rich are too rich. Yeah, but she, she also very, had a very loving relationship. I know, but I, 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 I don't. Okay, go on. So it was just like, okay, so this is part of the mystery, right? That Lynette feels like she's surrounded by people that she can't trust. She doesn't feel safe. But, you know, that to me already, one, was not really felt because they didn't spend a lot of time uh, establishing it. They just info dumped it. The Jacqueline... Uh, I I agree with you on that. uh, Jacqueline Belfort is there. And, you know, there's all of this tension between them. And in this film, it actually seems to be more between Simon and Jacqueline than it does between uh, Lynette and Jackie. Um, To the point where, you know, uh, uh, they have this scene where Lynette goes up to Jackie and apologizes to her. Half apologizes. Half apologizes. Uh, Rolando apologies. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. I apologize that you feel this way. Yeah. I'm sorry you feel this way. I'm sorry that you are suffering. Yeah. I'm sorry we could do this and hopefully we could be friends again. You know, like, oh, yeah. Hey. Well, yeah. I mean, what she said was specifically, it's just like, I'm not sorry for what I did, but I am sorry for how I made you feel, which I actually whispered to Eddie during the movie. Just like, I don't, I don't hate her apology. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) At least it's honest. Right. So it's weird because this movie, um, it kind of sets up Lynette to be, you know, like uh, more of a little like a bit of a, you know, scared victim almost, you know, like, um, oh, uh, you know, all these people are out to get me. I mean, I don't know why she's in that state of mind when it's clearly there's just Jackie who's trying to fuck with her. And even that didn't feel as much of like of a nuisance or of a threat like as it did in the 78 one. I would agree with you on that. Like uh, Jackie did not feel she didn't have the over the top theatrical. Crazy, yeah. She was more like showing up. Mm -hmm. Now, did me and Eddie gay gasp when she walked down the pier with that red dress? Of course. Yes. Stunning. We did because that was a gorgeous red dress. Oh, and she's fucking gorgeous. How how anyone could leave uh, her for Gal Gadot is beyond me. No, oh no yeah, no no well, that no, makes that, sense i uh, you know I like, don't agree, Ga- yeah gal gadot <laughs> is uh, uh like She's a you'd be hard pressed to find like any woman that you would not leave for gal gadot but this was a very very close contender of like possibly like okay maybe not but 
Uh, they were these are two just gorgeous women, and man, I will say this: whoever costumes designed this film, great job because like all these yes. costumes had me and yes. Eddie yes. gay gasping. Definitely, specifically the men's outfits. Books outfits were always Books, on yes, point. Yeah. yes, were so. I mean, the saddest part is when he had to throw that jacket. <laughs> I had to throw that jacket on the Nile because it had the, the blood that was on it. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. oh, but it's such a great jacket. Uh, okay. But it made sense. So, but to your point, though, the, as the movie progressed, we find out that a lot of these invitations were, since we know already what happened because we saw the original. And I was very upset with you for making me watch yes. the reverse order. Yes, because uh, I would rather watch this one first. Yes, yeah, I preferred this film. I over mean, if the... I ever have to do this again, I'm going to do. If I if I'm going to do like watch the original, don't see the reveal, then watch uh, the the reboot. The revival, whatever, and um, oh, it's only our podcast, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> and then come back to it because I, I don't know, I I felt more invested and more intrigued about what the, uh, the new movie gave mm-hmm. me, and I was like, oh my god, I know who the killers are. I wanted not to know. Yeah. Wow, interesting. But yeah, and so, but I like I said, so but to my point though is that they we're dropping in some of these clues of like, why is she surrounded by so many of her enemies? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't disagree with it that they info dumped the shit out of this movie, but they did that to save time and God bless them. Yeah. Like, I did not want to, I, I was so happy when I came out of the video. I was like, Oh, this was like a short film. I'm sorry. Thank fucking God. Guys, did we watch the same fucking movie? Because oh the murder happens and then, a lot of shit that has nothing to do with solving the murder happens, like the relationship between Buck and Rosalie unfolding. And it's like, wait a minute. Why no, aren't no, no. you They're off solving this mystery? Why are you trying to, you know, make this mother understand, you know, why these two people should be together or why are you trying to out these lesbians when people are fucking dying? Like he's not solving the mystery. He's just revealing what? everyone's secrets. No one had died. Wait, up until the lesbian part, no one had died yet. Same thing with Rosalie. That all in fact the next death happens soon after that. Uh, yes. So, and here's the, th- here's the thing. I'm, I don't know. Maybe, you know what? Like, I think maybe it was, I thought this movie was better paced as a result because I, I got invested in yeah. some of these other characters. The characters yes. I did not get invested yes. in the other one. Exactly. But we're exactly. not, and I, but we're watching a murder mystery and then all of a sudden they derail from the murder mystery. And then you're just focusing on all these other slight plots that don't but actually not, help he, add anything to the murder mystery. Th- no, fine. That might be the case, but what they were able to do was, Give me a reason to care for Book because, guys, this is a big spoiler. Book is the character who gets killed. He's the third victim. Yeah. And by the time that happened, I actually felt an emotional impact. Yeah, I felt I, was, I, I felt so twi- sad yeah. for this character yeah. because this was they at, at this point they had kind of built up this relationship that he was building up with Rosalie and like kind of like Perone too. And like Perone, yeah, yeah, he Perone had like a, there was a fatherly affection. Okay, yeah. Stop almost. right there. You guys don't 
read Agatha Christie, so I can't tell you how terrible this Poirot is. And I cannot well, hear you defend but, this Poirot but, guess, because but, but this is on, not Hercule Poirot. No, but no, but Nicole, unfortunately, this is about comparing the two movies. We're not comparing the movies to Even the book, fucking then, though, the movies have established who Poirot is, okay? Poirot is a hugely famous character. It's not like you can walk into a Batman movie and not have some knowledge of who Batman and Bruce Wayne is and then be like, oh, well, it's just the movies, so it doesn't matter. Like, when a but, character is that famous, there are things that fans expect to see. This is true, but this is actually why I'm looking forward to, for example, the new The Batman movie, because if the rumors are true and they're going with some of the new comic lore, we're seeing for the first time his parents aren't these saintly figures. In fact, his parents might be very, very much the reason why uh, Gotham is so corrupt. And I am ready for a big changeup like that. So... And I love the Batman lore, whatever, whichever uh, generation we're talking about. So, uh, you know, to to excuse to excuse me on this, I'm just like, no, but we're not comparing me and Eddie. We haven't read the book. So, like, we're only going off of the Poirot that we're seeing on the screen. I this iteration of Poirot, I actually preferred a lot more than the previous one, which was uh, Murder on or the Orient Express. I had no relation to the book. So it's just like, it's irrelevant to me. Like it's a moot point. If it's just like, it's not like the book. It's just like, all right, I didn't read the book. So who cares? <laughs> but it's also not only is it not like the book. It's not who Hercule Poirot is. Okay. But it's, if, but it's also like James Bond. You don't need to read any of those books to get who the fuck James Bond is. And so when the Timothy Dalton movies came out in the eighties and made him a completely like different person, that's why the Bond franchise failed and then didn't make any films for seven years. Because if you're a fan of something, there are things that you are looking forward to seeing and being represented in an adaptation, right? That's but why we adapt But was the new Daniel things. Craig like such a big departure from the other previous Bonds? Not as much as the Timothy Dalton was. Okay. Not really, because also like there's there's a difference between everyone's doing their interpretation of a character, but then like completely uh -huh. changing the fundamentals of who that character is, right? Uh -huh. And I told you the other film and television versions that we have established of who Poirot is. So if you're only a media consumer of who Poirot is, right, and you just want to see, you know, that, you know that he's ignorant, he's an asshole, he's kind of cold, and he's really smart and cocky, but like, you know, he's he's not like an emo sad boy. And yet, but, but, Kenneth Branagh is a fucking emo sad boy. No, he's not. Yes, he, he is. Was all those other, he was all those other things. He was cold. No, he, he wasn't. In fact, Rosalie called him out for she it. She called him out. She, she read did. him. He, and he was only very warm to, like, two characters. That was uh, Book, because he we, we saw that there was a relationship budding that it felt very nurturing. And then the other relationship was uh, with uh, the jazz singer. Ober oh, what's, Salome Outerborn. Just Salome because Ottawa. a character says something, though, doesn't mean that that's actually how I at least perceived the Kenneth Branagh's uh, Poirot. He was crying fucking left and right. You know, he, he couldn't say crying. he was like, yeah, he's like, I couldn't say book, you know, something fucking Poirot would never do. Yeah, right? the end, it was like, the human, but was, was, I don't know. I, 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 I can't that was the hear human we wanted. That's but. That's not who Poirot is. That's great. You want a fucking human character, find it in somebody else. That's not who Poirot is. But I guess what I'm trying to say is just like, it doesn't, if this is a film that they're giving us, if this is the character that they're going with, it doesn't matter. On some level, it doesn't matter what the, 
what the source material is if this is what the creator is going with conviction. I prefer this version of Poirot more so than I saw in the previous film that kind of focused more so on his, like, OCD, right? Here we got to see a little bit of the OCD stuff, but, like, here we kind of focus a little bit more on humanity. And I was, like, by the end, I kind of came out saying, it's just like, wow, oh I prefer this movie way more than the, the previous film, and I preferred it better than Murder on the Orient Express, the... The Kenneth Branagh one. Yeah, so the, uh, the first that keyword, yeah, the Express first one. Yeah, that that so keyword great. though, humanity is just. But that's the thing, like that's not the fundamentals of a character. And you're a person who puts character very like to you. That's top story and character should be one of the most important things. So I'm actually surprised that you're okay with Kenneth Branagh completely desecrating this Poirot character and making him whoever because the fuck he character. wants to be. But you've seen at least three other films where you got that and character yeah, and, established. And then I will say, it's just like, yeah, I like this iteration, this ver- this this Because film one he's that I got nothing so like the far, other ones, like, which is totally maybe unfair. That, so maybe but that's, that's not why. who he is. Like, so don't you think that there's something false in that? Because it's like, oh, well, he was just so fucking different and not who Poirot is, that that's why I liked him. Isn't that kind of unfair? No. Why? Why is that unfair? It's kind of like, like watching something like The Great Gatsby, right? The quintessential okay. novel of the jazz age or Marie Antoinette, a film that you don't want, and updating it, right? To the point where, right. you know, they're fucking playing hip hop in The Great Gatsby, right? Um, yeah. You know, a novel that is defined by the fact that it is a jazz era film. Did that update bother you? It did, but not because of the music choice. I actually liked the music choices. It bothered me because I don't like Leonardo DiCaprio. So it was just a personal thing you having. It was very much. So if I don't think I didn't, I don't, I never, I just don't picture him as as a Jay Gatsby. So fundamentals of character and stuff you think should not be respected and just thrown out the window is what you're saying. Look at, all right. I think maybe a good one, a good example of something that we covered the Joker, right? Mm -hmm. Where, very much comic book historically wise, the Joker never had like an origin story. Like we don't know his real origins. We just know that he's just this crazed guy. The Joker film gave us an origin story and we got to see, uh, we got to go into the psyche of a person who becomes the Joker. And I thought that was a great performance, but did it, it, it yeah, sure. It shit on the other iterations of the Joker in theory, but like, guess what? I still this love is, those other versions too. No, no. The reason why this example doesn't work is because they never went too far out of who the Joker was. The Joker was fucking insane, right? It showed you, the only thing that that did was showed you how he got there, right? Well, this yeah, is, but that's the thing. So, one, this, the joke. This isn't an origin story for Poirot. It's an origin story for his f- fucking hipster mustache. But who they're displaying in this film is nothing like characteristically who the character of Poirot is defined to be. It's almost as if they made Joker more of like this, like, you know, Ted Bunty kind of like killer. Right. Or I don't know, just someone who was like funnier or something, even though like, I guess in some ways he's joke like the Joker is an interesting character to kind of use in this way because the fundamentals of who the Joker is, is that he's fucking insane, but he's also a genius. Right. What if they took those two qualities away? Would you be unhappy with that? Like he was actually a bit of an idiot. Do you, oh, would you so would like, you be outraged so, by that portrayal of the Joker? So like the Joker that they show in the Harley Quinn TV show, that's kind of like a little more goofy and a little bit more uh, not as smart. Yeah, and you know what? That's a fun Joker to see on screen. It, it's fine. I so I, I'm not I'm not a purist. I guess someone who like needs. I guess maybe 
I'm not someone who needs to have like if the characters were built out this way for all this millennia, like, and we change it up a little, it's not gonna. It doesn't drive me crazy. Like, oh, Superman's another great example where uh, Zack Snyder uh, turns Superman to like this kind of like uh, uh, emo, sad guy, and like you know has no, you know has less respect for humanity than like the Superman that we've grown up with. That one irked a lot of people. I actually liked that iteration. Which one? Is I thought the. The, the Man of Steel Superman. Okay, yeah. I liked the Man of Steel Superman. I thought he was cool. Did they go a little over, you know, the tone of the rest of the movie is kind of derailed, but that's not to say that the way that, but that's not to say that I didn't like this new version of Superman that we hadn't seen before. I It really pissed off a lot of Superman fans. I liked it. Okay. There so we go. I That's guess a good example. yeah, there we go. I guess I would be more uh in tune with that Superman fan where I'm like, well, you know, if one of the things that I look forward to seeing him portrayed on screen is this and that and then they kind of went in that direction, there's something that is uh-huh. so uncharacteristic for yeah, him. Yeah, usually with Superman, then, yeah. you, uh, you know, truth, justice, the American way but that's, here. That's the thing too, right? Poirot is such a literary character right so if you're going to make a film adaptation of it yeah you want to make movies for everyone and you don't always have to read the books but you know that the target audience is the 50 plus people or the people who have read the fucking book so you're kind of isolating that fandom when you completely disregard the the text and the other media portrayals and you know the fact that if you look at a picture of Hercule Poirot, if you look at his silhouette, you'd still fucking know who he is. So when he doesn't look no anything way. like it, this, come on. Yeah, I mean, hey, you, you might not live in that world, but many other people do where they can uh, identify that. And also, not only does he visually not look like him, but he acts nothing like him. So for fans who actually are looking forward to seeing the Poirot that they like to either watch in other movies or read about, I actually, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm a purist in that sense where it's like, well, they just completely shit all over that. And like, that's the thing. They changed a fucking lot and I was fine with it. Make, make Salome a jazz singer and change that. Sure. Add book is all this shit, but keep at least the Poirot things uh, intact because otherwise, why are you fucking telling this story? Right. If you're just going to change everything about it, so much so of them, who the, the main character is and his motives. Right. It's not like this whole self-reflecting. Oh, I need to like change, like go back to who I was and I have this long lost love and and I need to get to the point where I have to shave my mustache to feel like myself again. What the fuck is that bullshit? That is not why I came to see Death on the Nile. I came to see a murder mystery and I came to see some little shithead solve it because that's also why we like Sherlock Holmes. Is Sherlock well, Holmes is a fucking asshole. He's not I some came, like soft boy jerk face. I came well he's I don't know. I I guess you really didn't like this character. I I don't know. I felt I really did f- think Kenneth Branagh on this one performed great in the sense of uh of the of giving you kind of like the the murder mystery. And I'm talking about him as a director here. I got the murder mystery. I was fine. And I, shame on me for seeing these back to back. That's the only qualm I had. I wish I had given myself more time to kind of like forget the mystery. So I knew what was kind of, you know, where it was happening. That's why I was mad at you as I was watching this film. Just like, I would have preferred <laughs> to watch this one first. Well, then you shouldn't have seen it on a Tuesday. Yeah. This is true too. But at the same time though, I think, like giving him a little humanity it just worked out because i think by the so you said you wanted to you came i came to for a murder mystery Mm -hmm. and i came out saying this is like oh i like 
I like poor Poirot, and I felt for him, and I felt very, very much sympathetic towards uh, to him by the end. I actually thought a lot of the sympathies that I started feeling for him at first, I was just like, these are all contrived by that fucking opening sequence of like him in the him in the thing. Actually, if you had just cut that out, I, I this probably would have been a great movie because Seriously? I didn't need that. Well, well I'm okay with it, right? Because it kind of like tied up in the end, mm. but but I think the relationship between him and Book was so. Uh, I don't know. It was so palpable that by the end, like I felt that pain that he's going through, and like the determination to solve this crime, uh, you know, and hmm. and solve this mystery. So I, 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 I liked it. So it's interesting because I don't think it was an effective mystery, and here's the reason why: the 1978 film did a very good job of establishing everyone's motive to the point where if you had never watched it, you know, you might have had some like, oh, maybe they did it or maybe this person committed that murder. You really got, and they showed you the story. They showed you everything. They didn't tell you everything. They didn't have book narrated while they were partying. No, I feel like this also, film. But, uh, but uh, minus points, though, they also showed you like all the possibilities. And it was all, it was just like, I well, that know. was the directorial choice that, you know, was like not the best. But um, this film. It almost feels as if they don't believe that the reason why people went to see this movie was for the murder mystery. It's almost as if the filmmakers or the editors or whoever it was, or maybe the studio heads, are convinced that the only reason why people are seeing Death on the Nile is for the stars and for you know the sex or maybe even the murder, but not actually to solve the crime. So they kind of served the murder mystery as like the second tier of importance. That's interesting. So you thought... I actually didn't think this was a star-studded film. The only one I knew was actually Gal Gadot. Well, also, you know, this is like a 50-plus, you know, like market that they're aiming for. So I do, like, Annette Benning is a, a, a I, huge actress, you know, that was really prominent know, yeah, in the 90s. Annette Benning is, but I, again, I also thought she... Well, I had problems with that one, too. But before I get into that, um, you know, French and Saunders are huge stars over, you know, in in the UK and stuff. They're like a comedy Mm -hmm. duo. So to make them lesbian lovers was actually kind of uh, was like, I guess, like a a nice little nod to their their partnership. Um, You know, Sophie Alcanado is I think I know who she is. Um, The person who played Salome Otterborn. Oh, I've seen her in things. I, I, yeah, I, I, but not. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew. I knew the girl from what? Uh, from Wakanda, from uh, Black Panther. There you go. Yeah, I, this is a pretty international cast, but there's also a face, a couple faces that older people I think would be a little bit more familiar with. Um, but then it's also like, I just I don't know. They were there was. It's almost like the attempt to make Gal Gadot's character, Lynette Ridgway, more sympathetic was also like, do they? It just felt like the murder mystery wasn't always present. You know, you weren't always supposed to be getting clues or learning something. The whole adding in of Buck and, and Rosalie, you know, falling in love and then the fact that that's why Poirot's actually there. And then um, the whole weird reason that Euphemia well, that actually- didn't want Buck to get married was also completely bullshit because I'm sorry. She, it, she would not be against marriage because she didn't believe in love. She would be against marriage because she didn't want her son to marry a black woman and they didn't go there and they oh, should have yeah, gone I, there. I do agree with you. I think they should have just gone there. They should have just made that the issue uh, point, point blank. I think they kind of skirted around that issue a little. I think maybe they were trying to protect uh, the, the feelings of, you know, half 
the American population here. Yeah. Right? And that's the thing. They're trying to be overly politically correct and stuff and they don't want to upset oh, anybody. No, no, no. I'm saying they, they don't want to they don't want to upset real racists, right? Because then they'll just be like, this is too fucking woke. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, right? interesting. That's, so you think it's that's the other who way I think they were trying to protect. Not not that they it's not that they weren't uh that my theory is that they were trying to like not they didn't want to isolate those people. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Is my guess. Okay. Because that that segment of the American population has become so vocal that they feel like they're being scolded at. They are going to boycott it or make a big stink about it. So it's better. I mean, it sucks because it would have been historically more, more accurate if that was it, but whatever. So it just also didn't make sense. Like really, that's why you're so against it. Cause you don't love ruins lives. Like this is stupid. But you know, not every white person wants, (laughs) has these feelings. I, I I mean, cause I, I think it ruins the, I mean, for the the theme that I got from this movie was that all that was laid out was different forms of loves. Yeah, I that was like going this. on. Eddie pointed this out when we were leaving the theater, and I actually liked it. And I thought, oh, what a great Valentine's Day movie this was. So, Eddie, <laughs> go ahead. I'll let you make your thought because this was your yeah. So it's like love of money, secret love. Um, there is a uh, forbidden love going on here, Unre- un uh, unrequested love, unrequested. Unrequited, right? Unrequited love, yeah. Unrequited love. Um, you know, lo- uh, possibility, potential love. You know, the almost blossoming of love. The love between a mother and son. Mm-hmm. You know? So you have, like, all these kind of these elements there being played out. And the, and the thing with love is, you know, the, 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 the line between love and hate is, is so thin, too. And love makes us do crazy things, and the passion that comes from from love. Yeah, you know. So this got I felt like I was seeing this all kind of played out. Yeah, within this, and this is like the motive behind this is love. It's kind of twisted. Yeah, but it's love. I yeah. I this one. You know, even the even end. the maid doing what she did mm-hmm. was all about was that she loves this guy that she can't be with. Yeah, so it's interesting because even though, yeah, that's definitely a theme, you know, that was part of the book and stuff and they really highlighted in that that movie. I also felt like all these news stories just they overcomplicated the movie and the story and took away from the reason that we're there is to fucking solve a murder. I'm like, I don't know. For me, it was just, I guess you guys are way more forgiving than I am because at the end of the day, I was like, this is way too complicated and and it's a, a shorter movie. And I they're focusing I, on all these other fucking things. Like, what about the I fucking don't mystery? I don't know. I don't know. I don't it, also, it also might have been the fact that they had to edit out a lot of Army Hammer scenes where it's like, okay, well, where's all this time we're supposed to be getting with Simon Doyle and, and Jackie? Because we're not getting it. I feel like it was enough. I was like, just around. I, yeah, I genuinely hate... I, I don't know. So wait, I you genuinely out. think that this was a good script for Londo? Yes. Someone who thinks I script actually, is, is king? Yeah, I actually came out saying, it's just like, yeah, this, was, this I like this. You one. don't this think was, that this was overcomplicated well and not focused at all? And not only that, how many times did Poirot investigate someone, accuse him of murder, but then ended up just talking about himself and like stuff, mm-hmm. like especially like that scene with if, Salome. Sorry, that I don't know. That's what I think, think about him. Yeah, he's, selfish, but he's supposed to solve the murder. But he's not talking about... 
again, again, I think you guys are way more forgiving and you just were there for like, you know, the fun time because like I, I no. couldn't follow anything. Like I thought I was going to have fun. And at first I was like, this is great. But then it was like, they're not focusing on the fucking story. They're adding in so much other shit that's supposed to take away from the main story to the point where it's like, this is everyone who left that theater knew that it was Jackie and Simon because the film did not do a good job of establishing any other person as being responsible for the murder. In the original 1978 I, film, everyone else was legitimately, could have been the murderer. Yeah, fine. You might, you, I, I won't disagree with you on that and that might be an uh, attribute of writers thinking that Americans are lazy, but they might be right because literally as we were in the theaters when the killer was revealed that he had an accomplice i heard gasps in the theater yeah okay. well you know hey was such a- <laughs> they were they were shocked that some there was people, another person yeah so some people i'm might just saying be, it's but- just like i don't know maybe you think too you like murder mysteries and you read these but i maybe my guess is that maybe the majority of the people of popular of the american population doesn't really read mysteries and therefore they just get swept in by the drama and the fashion mm, and the glitter. Yeah. yeah this movie, I it easily I won't lie, like the the fashion of this film seduced me. I think And even this the, the just the background, the yeah. how beautiful Egypt looked yeah, and like, was portrayed. Like, it, it was that, just yeah, it was no, fascinating. That CGI like, was really nice. It was no, I mean, no, it was no, like, no. They they use a sound stage for these things. <laughs> they did they, they did build a real, a real temple. Yeah, they built a fake temple. Um and they built a real boat and but I think that's it the thing off. it's not just because i read murder mysteries murder mysteries are are it's always present there's so many television shows and movie mis- murder mysteries and stuff so it's like okay maybe some people in your theater were like um gasping but that's not like something that i could say about the overall general american public i mean people know how to follow a fucking story and are there to follow a fucking murder mystery and this i just thought that the script assumed that people weren't into it and that's why they didn't spend so much time actually giving all of these other reasons why people might have done the murder and they made it so clear I'm, that it was jackie and simon i think i think they did a really lazy job i'm way more cynical of american audiences yeah i I, and i'm defending the american audience i think that we could have fucking handled a more focused murder mystery plot because that's why we were there all right i I don't agree i I, i'm more like i left that movie caring about who died yeah like when someone died i really cared like when book died i was like Like, my god this is so fucking tragic and even when um the two lovers died when, when she killed when she kills him that way bullet through his back into her heart so and romantic. she just like lays there on him and i'm like and whispers i love you this love is so tragic it's so twisted it's so wrong i feel so sad for them i did not care for the other two in the original yeah. <laughs> i did not I, care I, at I, all but i, I love me a pharaoh uh, yeah, did not care for, yeah i did, did not, not care, care she right died when she died i'm like oh Drama, drama queen, yeah. you know, but this one was like, oh, this is so fucking heavy. And and then the loss, like people lost there. Uh, there was a, a, a love that was lost. There was a mother who lost her son. There was Perot who lost kind of like this this friend, you know, uh, people walked away and um things died Nicole wow. rolled her i did died. because poirot doesn't give a shit like that poirot's this is it's just so interesting that the reason robot i don't think he's a robot I, I just think he gets written like a robot he's not you know? nobody's saying he's I'm a, not robot, a robot i just get written that way it's not that he's a ro- it's not that you either give a shit or you're a fucking robot it's just not who he that's not who he is i'm yeah, sorry but, like, but here's the other thing right 
what these people did was ugly and what these people did was fucked up and wrong something that i felt more in the 1978 film than this one i almost felt like they fucking glamorized the shit out of these people they're fucking committing murder why do we feel bad for them i mean it's tragic in the sense of that they got so carried away with their greed and they killed all these people but that's it who fucking cares about their goddamn love story what like you need motive what are you talking i don't understand that's no i mean well we understand the motive but why are we sympathetic to their love story you could be sympathetic they're greedy uh, killers greeds you could be you know they having a sympathetic villain does not mean that you're glamorizing it yeah well i kind of felt like they did in this one for me i don't think they glamorize their uh the they, they didn't glamorize the the crime they just like i think they were maybe they i think what they gave us uh a very toxic relationship a portrayal like of what toxic love could look like but i don't think that necessarily glamorized it um well i don't know there's nothing glamorous about like dying dying in each other's arms is very romantic and it's 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 it's, really not it well (laughs) the the way that they portrayed it i mean well i mean i you can you guys just went on record saying that that's how you felt that it was like so that's how i felt okay i felt i felt that that was just like I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not glorifying it or anything like that. What I'm just saying is the, that moment, that scene, made me like feel. Yeah, that's you know, made yeah. me feel. And, and I don't disagree with Eddie on that. Like, I'm, but I'm not. I don't think it glamorizes it, nor do I think it. And, and this is, this is your. I think you're just like now. You're just like. Uh, uh, this is like you're the one who says it's like we can't like hold films accountable for what like they glamorize or don't glamorize. Right. I mean, what you think I'm saying that because the way that Death on the Nile portrayed something that people are now going to go commit crimes of passion or something? Are you so you're not saying that? Is that what you're accusing me of saying? I am. I am. No, I'm. I'm glad. I'm accusing them of romanticizing. Accusing people of murder. I'm. I'm accusing this movie of romanticizing all these people's relationships instead of actually portraying them as murderers. And that's the thing too. Like this film is overly romantic again i'm more devastated at the fact that they added this whole romance story to poirot because poirot would never he just in other films we've established that he doesn't look at other people he's asexual so the fact that this this would be plaguing him the whole fucking movie you know that he would he would be so vulnerable in front of other people that he would cry about the death of his friend that's just i'm sorry sure that guy's moved you but it's not who poirot is and then he would never shave off his mustache it's just it's the whole thing is just it's just you guys aren't fans of Poirot, so you don't care, and that's yeah. and that's why you were able to enjoy it. For Probably people, not. I guess I I expected you to have more sympathy since you guys have hardcore fan bases. For people like us who expected to see an honest portrayal of our beloved character, and it got uh, yeah. shit I've, on. But then I showed you my counterpoint. It's just like yeah, but I don't mind change. Yeah, you you didn't care about change. the Man of Steel change like others did, yeah. and that was a good example of that. You know, and I'm looking um, forward for like the Batman changes that we're going to see to uh, the lore. I mean, I'm sure there's people up in arms that like Commissioner Gordon is black, and I'm like, all right, I don't really give a fuck. That's like, different. Good story again. You know, changing somebody's race is different from changing the fundamentals of who makes them who they fucking are. That's a complete different thing. Well, no, no, no. But I'm talking about, but yeah. But then also for Batman here, we're talking about like, what is it? Is he now a hero or is he trying to clean up for the sins of his parents? Right. Because that does fundamentally change. Like Batman was always a vigilante. He was always after 
trying to clean, you know, making up for the fact that he couldn't save his parents as a kid. Now we have a Batman that is technically probably who is feel has this feeling that the problems of the city are the burden that are his own burden because his parents have created. Yeah. Right. So that fundamentally changes who Batman is. Yeah. And I'm okay with that change because they're like, all right, let's see what happens. It's almost what they did with Smallville too. Well, so here's the thing. I, like I said, I don't mind, you know, the updating of Salome and all that stuff for the plot. That's fine. You know, I'm not, and I actually don't think I'm a purist in that way, but if also you're going to make a movie about Hercule Poirot, then maybe you should make one about who he is and who we expect him to be. That's my argument. Like you can update the shit out of it, of all these other stories and throw in all these characters, you know, to fine. I'm not a purist in that sense. I just want to go on record. I feel like, you know, I hope our listeners understand where I'm coming from in the sense where it's like, if I expect to see, if I expect to see a life story of who Rolando is, you know, I better not see like this quiet, contemplative <laughs> portrayal of who he is because Rolando is a very theatrical, outspoken person. And I expect yeah, to see that in, in a film about him, you know, where if they were to show something that's, else, that's not that's who Rolando is. I know, but that's a biopic. You can't do that. Oh, well, now we're getting... This is an example. But this is an example. But that's the thing. You were a character. And as far as our listeners are concerned, you're a character. (laughs) You're not a real person. You're a character that they like hearing all of your quirks about, right? So next episode of Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals, you're not who you... They grow to love you anymore. Let's have someone... We'll pass someone like play me for like an episode <laughs> yeah like claiming they're Rolando and there he is you know like he's <laughs> he's crying over things and he's just you know he's just a completely it's just not who you were looking forward to seeing uh-huh and that is why I really and that was my biggest gripe with this movie I actually didn't hate this movie but the Kenneth Branagh stuff pissed me off so much and I also kind of felt insulted I was like oh my god you guys can't just focus on the goddamn murder mystery you gotta throw all this other fucking shit in there like because you think we can't handle it those are my two major right. gripes about the movie um so it sounds like you didn't think this movie was needed I mean uh I really really want and I really wanted you know Agatha Christie adaptations to become something that we would get more often because uh the people who are probably seeing this are people who have read the book and most of the people who have seen this movie like this film has not gotten good reviews it's pissing as many other people off as it has me i don't think it's going to happen i think it's going to ruin the chance of more agatha christie uh, books so i was hoping i would say it was needed uh, and in other ways, I liked the updates. Fun, but I think it's going to make sure that there are no more Agatha Christie adaptations, and therefore it was very much not needed to put an end to that. Okay, uh, I actually haven't looked at the reviews for uh, this film. What's it called? Are you kidding me? We just spent two hours talking about it. <laughs> Death on the Nile. Uh, hang on, I'm just trying to find it. It's not. Why is it not showing up on Rotten Tomatoes like immediately? Sixty four. All right, that's a uh, respectable. Oh, the audience score is a pretty telling thing. The audience like if the audience uh, thinks it's fine. As I, what is this Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, you guys take Rotten Tomatoes seriously? Uh, the audience score. The uh, you you can. <clears throat> I don't take the score as like a Bible thing, but like usually if you look at critic score and compare it, the, usually the audience score 
tells you like looking at disparity like if the audience score is higher now this isn't like a, a hard and fast rule but like if the audience score is higher than like the critic score it it is usually more telling you know than the reverse you so same thing if like the odd if the uh, if the critic score is like super high but the audience score is super low like that tells you something it's just like okay critics might think this is a darling but like most people fucking hated this film mm. and that's fine you know what i mean same thing so if like you know this movie seems like it's like critics are just like eh on it audience is like oh i liked it and that that tells you something it's just like yeah it's kind of telling me that like what i think that like american audiences are not as smart as you give them credit for wow i you know i i really hope people write to Rolando and be like fuck you dude because no if you're listening to this podcast you're one of those smart ones but let's be real <laughs> those that don't are the dummies i'm talking about I guess so. I don't and know. To answer, and to my point also, I thought this movie was needed because I thought this movie was actually pretty good. And it actually made me want to look forward to like a sequel. Yes. Wow. You know what? That alone is definitely worth it. Um, and it yeah. I hope we don't have to cover it because but I want to see another. Can we talk about the elephant guy. in the room though? Uh, Which one? Who were these beautiful women that carried the dead bodies oh, all the time? Oh, yeah. They were... <laughs> Mysterious. It was only these four beautiful women with this like nice do, and they would just be carrying the bodies all the time. Oh man, I don't know if I noticed Who? that. Yes, what? it was so obvious. Always, always. Yeah. Or, Did I notice? My other, there was another theatrical moment that like me and Eddie appreciated as gay men, and that's when like Poirot shoots the gun in the air, and then everyone is locked in the room. Yes, so dramatically. Yes. So you could like reveal who the killer is. Yeah, that was, I was very like, dramatic. How, how dramatic. I love it. I'm here for it. That's yeah. me. That was probably mm-hmm. the closest to Poirot he came that whole fucking film. Um, but yeah, so what did you guys think? Are you, uh, are you a fan of the murder mystery genre? Or do you think it should be as faithful to the book as it should be to the movie? How many liberties do you think you know these films should be taking with characters and development and all that? Let us know your thoughts. You can let us know your thoughts by emailing us, remakesrebootsrevivals at gmail.com. We are active on Instagram at remakesrebootsrevivals. A very, very uh, funny reel just went up, and you guys should go over and you should watch it. Uh, We're active on Twitter at remakespodcast. You can find us on Facebook, remakesrebootsrevivals, and YouTube, too. And, of course, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, you know, find us on any of your platforms and leave us a review, you know. Say whatever you'd like. Just let us know your thoughts because we do love hearing from you. And another fun way that we can hear from you is if you call in this number and let your voice be heard the number is 862-248-2326 that's 862-248-2326 wow i didn't think we were going to talk this long but i'm actually really excited that we did because we had a lot to say and um i and a lot to disagree on and a lot to disagree on yeah you know this is it's interesting i i hope we don't contradict ourselves in other episodes because then it's just going to be personal preferences i i think (laughs) In what sense? Like, uh, I feel like in a couple of weeks, you know, maybe you might catch me or I might catch you going the opposite of what we established today. You know, I wonder. Maybe, but maybe. isn't that life? We all change opinions based off of what hey, we're yeah. watching. Like, like, well, I don't have a connection. I don't have a deep connection with Poirot. You do. But I also, you're, you're right. I've seen, the, this is my fourth iteration of Poirot I've seen. And so far, this has been the one I've gravitated to the most. Despite the fact that I did like Alfred Kinney. Uh, Finney. Yeah, I mean... 
it's interesting though because I do think that things should change, and I love you know. There's a difference between an imp- interpretation and you know changing the fundamentals of who a person is. I, that's it. I, this is my fucking thesis statement for the goddamn episode. You think things, you think things should change, but don't change them at all. No, people evolve. No, no, no. It's like people we evolve, but there are certain things as to co- the core of who we are that will always stay the same. That's what makes us who we are. You know. Okay. I yelled. We've been talking I yelled for because over two hours. Jackie's in the next room, and I want her to come in and just you know put an end to this conversation. So, okay. <laughs> Deep cut reference. Um, well, join us next week, guys. When we we still haven't figured out what we're gonna cover, but join us next week Wait, because it's gonna be a really? fun one. Yeah, we'll talk about it after we uh, end this very long episode. Okay. So, if you made it to the end, thank you so much for listening, and you know I hope you enjoyed it because you know this is a very passionate debate, and I love these episodes. So, yep. Until next time, stay, stay an original. original.